Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, July the 22nd, 2015, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say, Haru, Mr. Bob Ryer. Okay. And on the line with Ms. Mara Wood. What's up? Mara, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Of course. I know Uh, we even have guests that have cleaned up. Yeah. Bob is very messy right now, which matters muchly for being on the radio. Um, uh, we have a special, we actually have two guests today because Mara will be joining us for the first half of the show where we talk about our books of the week and uh, we talk about our shared book of the week, which is Hawkeye number 22, the, the finale of Matt Fraction and David, David Aja's uh, much ballyhooed series. But then Mara, Mara will be leaving us uh, because she has not seen our feature presentation, which is Ant-Man. Um, so we'll be joined by Joey Bacino for the for the second half of the uh, show. Joey. Yeah. <laughs> so we have really we have the two kind of talking comics all stars uh, on this yes, to indeed. make to make us better. <laughs> I feel so important now. <laughs> well, you should. You should. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and Mara, uh, we won't talk about it now because everything's not settled, right? But Mara has a a new thing coming from the site as well pretty soon. Y- yeah, uh, Marie and I are working on. Um, well, I mean, we're, we're pretty much settled on it. We've got some some people in the works, and we're just working on uh, when it's going to debut. But we're we're putting together a um, a podcast for manga and anime geared towards women. Awesome! Awesome! Yeah. So it's like Madoka and Sailor Moon and new things coming out like Magical Girl Apocalypse. So it's going to be it's going to be fun, and um, I'm pretty excited about it. Awesome! Yeah, absolutely. Um, an- another addition to the the talking family of, of podcasts. The talking comics Twitter feed is totally going to fill up with those Sailor Moon gifts that they're always sharing. Yes, <laughs> it absolutely is. Sailor Moon is great. I am really looking forward to hearing that, Mara. I can't wait to hear the first episode. That's awesome. I'm 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 thrilled about it, especially since today I got a, a box of review copies from Yen Press. Ah, is that oh. what you were posting? I saw that. Yeah, and they're the ones who put out the Madoka Magica series. I finally finished it. I oh loved, yeah, I loved it. I need to go back because I I watched um, uh, Madoka the Re- Rebellion movie. Okay, I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, it's beautiful animation in it. It's so trippy. And after I finished it, I was like, oh, what happened? <laughs> yeah, the last like two episodes are just like information dump city, but it's all really, really like revealing crazy stuff. And mm-hmm. kind of makes you want to go back and start the whole thing over again to watch it from a different perspective, knowing what you know at the end. Yes, so, and that that's like that's what happened after I watched that movie. I was texting Marie and I was like, well, what the hell happened? What's going on? Why has everything changed 
again. Yep. And she goes, give it a week and then start the whole series again. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Why not? twisting my arm. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So that'd be awesome. I can't wait uh, for that to start. And I think it'll be a, a great addition to the. Yeah. We, we yeah. were, um, we're aiming for September and, uh, so right now we're just trying to figure out our, our structure, but it's going to be very scholarly. Um, oh, I definitely it's, can't be on it then. Yeah. It's, 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 it's oh. me and Maria. <laughs> and I was, I was telling her, I just found, it's a new textbook that came out that's all about shoujo manga and culture of uh, anime and, and how, you know, all that plays together and, and essays and things like that. I'm like, definitely, I know this textbook. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. Um, so uh, I was going to say, like, why so long? And I realized September is like a month away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you guys know, but both of us work in schools and academia. So August is like the worst month ever. Yeah. It's like preparation August month. and May. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm eagerly anticipate listening to it and having no idea what you guys are talking about. It's going to be a lot <laughs> <Yeah>. of squealing. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, like I said at the, at the top, we have Ant-Man to talk about later. We have our, our, our Hawkeye to talk about. Um, not a lot of news happened this week, really. It's, it's going to be quiet. It's been very quiet. Mm-hmm. So which means tomorrow there'll be a whole ton of news mm-hmm. that we'll, we'll talk about when it's uh, a week old. A couple of like character reveals for television shows. Oh, you mean like for like uh, Flash, Arrow, stuff like that? Yeah, what's up with that? Like what I understand like castings are exciting, but I feel like we're kind of like, I like surprises. Like a character shows up at the end of the episode and you're just like, oh, damn. Now? Like that's all. Being... Well, the problem is that that stuff gets leaked anyway. So they'd rather yeah. be, they'd rather control and be able to do what they want to do with the announcements rather than just leak out somewhere because it would because they sh- they're they're already shooting the episode. So it's a fine point, Bobby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, yeah, some cool stuff going on there. Like some stuff for all of them. I think Supergirl got some some stuff they talked about. Mm-hmm. Flash, Arrow, all of them got stuff announcements. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about all those shows coming back too. Which again, it isn't that long from now nope. that we're that we're nearing the end of July, which I cannot believe that it's the end of July. Uh, it's we're recording this on July 21st. Uh, you won't hear it till July 22nd. But uh, July 21st is founding member of Talking Comics Brad Jones's birthday. Oh, is it really? Happy yeah. birthday, Brad! Happy birthday to Brad! Happy birthday, Brad! Yeah, uh, everyone. You can't wish him happy birthday. He's not on Twitter, but <laughs> good for him. Send good thoughts. Yeah, send good thoughts to, to Brad. Um, yeah, so I just got the phone with him right before we started recording. Actually, oh, is that who you're talking to back then? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's just let's just move right into talking about some comics. Sure. Um, Steve, I'm gonna go to you first here. Sure. For some lightning round, let me get my phone out here and get it get it ready to ready to I'm try to fit timer. in a bunch of stuff tonight. Well, you said you don't have much to say about all of them, so you should no, be able true. to get it in there. Um, all right, here we go. You've got three minutes and go. So, word of praise. Uh, these three books continue to be awesome. Uh, Manhunter number two, Doc, uh, Doc Fate number two, and The Mantle number three. Uh, Ed Burson and Image, the other two books are obviously DC Comics. Really, really enjoying them a lot, particularly Dr. Fate. Dr. Fate has been uh, a real treat for me. Uh, let's see. I got Ant-Man, the Ant-Man annual number one, uh, Nick Spencer. And, uh, this is, if you're at all a fan of Ant-Man or Nick Spencer's Ant-Man, you're definitely going to want to pick up this issue. I know it's $4.99 because it's an annual, but some pretty important stuff happens in this issue. Uh, you get Hank and Scott together kind of working on something 
and uh, a few answers to some of the stuff that happened in the Rage of Ultron original graphic novel, as well as a sort of changing of the times, if you will. Don't want to reveal too much. Hmm. Uh, I got to read uh, Sisters, which is the follow-up to Raina Talgemeier's uh, Smile that I talked about last week. I got this in the mail uh, the night that I went back from the podcast. I read it the next day on the train, and it was wonderful. It was it was just as great as the other one. Um, the smile is a little bit more meatier in terms of story. Uh, Sisters focuses on, obviously, the sister relationship that Reyna had with her sister Amara growing up. She wrote it for her, drew it for her, the whole bit. Um, really, really tender stuff and some hard stuff, too. Um, there's a little bit of... Uh, insight into their into their family and some stuff that happened and uh has a really really awesome way of of pulling you into uh reina's life growing up and is just a really really charming read and oh my god is it funny it is really funny the amount of frowny faces that show up in that book i i wanted to count them all <laughs> and like tweet her and be like this is how many you had because i was dying at each one they were so funny uh and real quick the other book that I almost picked for my book of the week, but then I read something really awesome, is The Princess Who Saved Herself uh, from Greg Pak. Let me see if I can open this up. Uh, based on the song by Jonathan Colton and art by uh, Takashi uh, Miyazawa. And oh man, so let me uh, really, really quick open. This is a great lightning round. The name of the princess in this book, this is one of my favorite aspects of it, is Gloria Chang Epstein Takahara de la Garza Champion. <laughs> yes. Okay. She is an amalgamation of all manners of race uh, in order to appeal to all. Uh, this is a storybook comic. This is not your traditional comic book with panels and such. These are full, gorgeous pages, full color the art is absolutely insane, and it's a story about a like hard rockin' princess that plays the electric guitar in her kingdom, and a witch princess on the other side of town who plays an acoustic. And the two of them are kind of volleying for territories and whatnot, and the witch tries to send things her way, and then they find out that in the end they need to work together in order to make the world a better place. And it's very, like, lessons learned kind of thing, but it's really charming, and it's absolutely perfect for uh, if any of you are comic book parents out there, and you, you're at, you ask us from time to time if we have books to recommend for you for younger readers, uh, The Princess Who Saved Herself is absolutely just, like, this is the book. It's perfect. Awesome. Yeah, it, awesome. Lo it looked very, very cute going through it. Yeah. And much different than I thought it was going to be. It is a storybook, but mm -hmm. beautifully, beautifully done. I can't remember the title. They have a I think two different alphabet books, I guess you'd call them. ABC Disgusting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which looks pretty grim, but funny. Yeah. They, um, it's, they're doing like a series of these books. Like this one was such a success that they decided to start working on one right away so that they didn't lose steam and they kept like the team together. Everybody was still kind of on the same page. So they're like, before we all part and go off and do something, let's do mm -hmm. a few more. And uh, it was a huge success on Kickstarter. That's where I, I got this. I, uh, I got a sticker book along with it, uh, including a sticker that says I ate the whole cake, which is <laughs> amazing. And um, I mean, it's just one of those really, really nice things to see on the shelves that there isn't a whole lot of all-ages stuff. There isn't really anything that you could sit down uh, on an afternoon or if you're babysitting or if you're trying to get your kids to sleep and they're within, like, you know, 
that age bracket where they're still into like bedtime stories and stuff like that that you read out of a book. Um, and it's easy to read for, for kids uh, as a learning tool as well. So it took up way more than three minutes, but it's <laughs> worth it. It's for the kids. <laughs> they did a uh, Hit Monkey Saves the World before this, the two of them together. Oh, okay. Colton and Pac. Um, again, based on one of his songs. Mm-hmm. Um, Hit Monkey, eh? yeah. It's just so awesome. Like, I love the name. The name is so perfect that it's so long and encapsulates so many different walks of people. But she's also a rock, like a magical rock star. Mm-hmm. And she's got, you know, <laughs> ripped jeans and she's just a little badass, <laughs> you know? And and I would imagine that that's a, how a lot of little girls see themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like the representation. I think it's good. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Mara. Yes. You ready? Yeah. All right. You've got three minutes and go. Okay. So first on uh, my list is Giant Days Number 5 by John Allison and Lissa Trayman. And that's from Boombox. And I I love this series. Um, We don't get a whole lot of kind of slice of life, friendship, romance, older women kind of comics. So this is like right up my alley. And in this particular issue, uh, Susan, Esther, and Daisy are getting ready for the ball at their university, and that means shopping. (laughs) So Esther is the queen of finding unique statement clothing. She's vintage shopping. She's trying to figure out how to put pieces together. And Susan and Daisy, those poor girls, they're not exactly ready to let her go crazy with their looks and style and everything, especially for this big night. So there's that kind of, uh, you know, apprehension going into the ball. But then, you know, there's this whole idea that uh, Susan is trying to avoid her ex, uh, McGraw. And then Daisy's got some unrequited love. And Esther is Esther. And so she's, she's out there. And, you know, she finds some, some solace in a, in a place that she didn't expect. So uh, Giant Days. And that's number five. And it's a mini series or mm-hmm. a, a kind of a limited series. So it's kind of upsetting that we're getting closer to the end well it's been up it's been up to uh 12 books yeah i'm like what was it eight before it was six six so you know i'm still excited about that but man i just want more <laughs> uh lumberjanes number 16 uh by noelle stevenson shannon waters brooke allen from boombox again uh eisner award-winning team yeah. um and this is more into rosie and abigail's relationship back when they were campers we get to see the bear woman, you know, when she was much, much younger. Uh, there's lots of cool flashbacks, and a mountain blows up. Uh, there's a giant weirdo monster, really cool uh, cliffhanger at the end. And Black Canary number two by Brendan Fletcher and Andy Wu from DC Comics. And there's a lot less singing in this issue and a lot more fighting. And those mysterious creature, shadowy things are still kind of coming after the band, and especially Ditto. We're not exactly sure what's going on with Ditto still. The thing about this issue that I really like is that there's a pull-out poster in the middle. Yeah. And it has a uh, – I love the way that they're doing kind of the um, introduction of the characters and things like that where it's just kind of a um, a guide. So I think it's really mm-hmm. unique way to add a, another layer to the story without being too narrative-heavy. And uh, one more that I didn't mention that I should have – before the show, but it's not a comic book, but it might apply here. But The Walking Dead Psychology came out, and that is a book that I contributed to. And my oh. chapter is on only the comics, only the Walking Dead comics. 
Uh, so if you're into psychology and Walking Dead, uh, the Walking Dead psychology book. Shameless plug, Mara. I <laughs> am so excited. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, is that available everywhere? Uh, Amazon has been shipping it. Okay. So I picked mine up early at Barnes and Noble. Awesome. Wow. Uh, there's lots of, lots of good, you know, Walking Dead stuff in it. Cool. Awesome. And Definitely check that out. So the psychology of the Walking Dead is what it's called? The Walking Dead psychology. Psych- oh, sorry. Uh, we'll put a link to it in the, uh, the show notes for everybody so they can, the Amazon link so they can check out if, yeah. they, if, they, if they want to. Can people yes. get autographed copies from you? Will you, <laughs> will you <laughs> uh, if they come to Arkansas, maybe. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, One of these days, I'll get out of my state. <laughs> awesome, awesome, uh, Bob. Uh, you had said you want to talk about Black Canary as well. So, what do you think oh, of this issue? I absolutely love that the poster you're talking about, Mara, is just really a brilliant way to keep you up to date. Art is sensational. Just love the cover mm-hmm. uh, with, with Ditto with a Black Canary head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just, just charming. And we do get to see their original lead singer, and that that sort of tension. Yeah. Beyond all the ninja, demon, whatever you want to call those things, now you get some another problem in the mix, and who knows how that's going to work out. This has been great. And more drama, more drama. Yeah. And she <laughs> seems more like the Black Canary mm-hmm. each, each time we see her. As, as first through the Batgirl run, and through the first issue, and now into this one, where there's a lot more old time Dinah here. Nice. And I'm really, really enjoying that. The heck out of this. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Bob, let's move right into your lightning round right off of that. Okay, dokie. You have three minutes, and go. Uh, Secret Six number four is now back on a regular schedule, and it's just really building some nice momentum. The group is holed up in the suburban home of the mysterious Mr. Wells, but they've been followed by the minions of their former jailer, and they eventually show up at their safe house clad in battle suits and bearing claws, knives, grenades attached to squirrels, and a tray of pecan sandies, just to be neighborly. Great fun and some really nice surprise guests if people are paying attention to what's going on. Captain Britain and the Mighty Defenders, it's issue one of two. Al Ewing and Alan Davis show you a slice of battle world that's beginning to question their circumstance. Here, the Baron's Dr. Yinsing, who in this reality has become rescue after Tony Stark sacrifices himself. And he's not thrilled with what's going on here. He's got some questions. And speaking of leaders with questions, there's Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps number two. Carol is convinced there are answers beyond the sky, and she's got a plan to use her Banshee squadron to find them out. Quickly into Years of Future Past number three, Marguerite Ben's story continues to accumulate layers of emotional depth, all while still being an engaging action story of epic scope and a heck of a whole lot of Lockheed. <laughs> also because Lockheed is gigantic in this one, about mm. the size of Godzilla. Then, uh, finishing off here, The Island Number 1, which is a new anthology monthly from Image. Uh, it's $7.99, so beware of that. But no ads and oversized. And you get a really in- engaging opening tale that's written and drawn by Emma Rios called ID. And the underlying theme is about body identity. And it's a... S- I guess it's the near future, but it could be who knows when. But it's 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 a lot of political discord, and the way it's going to play into how these people see themselves in this new society, and they're old as it transitions. Just really, really very well done. Of course, it's Emerius. The art is great, and her writing is special, too. Really nice surprise. Uh, two more fancy details fill out this uh, oversized book here. One's by the series guru, uh, Brandon Graham which is this very whimsical, bizarre thing. Just look in every background. There's stuff everywhere in this book. 
And there's also by Ludro, which is sort of a skater thing, which is really, really well done, sort of an urban style. And there's also a lovely text piece by Kelly Sue DeConnick about her friend and the poet Maggie Estep that is emotional and sad and funny, and it's a real nice look into their relationship and Kelly Sue's sort of early career that's there. And that's called Railbirds. Nice. And so that's The Island, which comes out every month. Now, some of these stories, the Brandon Graham story, happens again four months from now. Mm. So how this is going to play itself out, is there going to be gaps in between? We'll have to see as we come out. But I saw it on the shelf. I had written down for myself, and I was like, oh, i got to buy this. Mm -hmm. Just really a beautiful book. Yeah, That's I, it for me. I haven't got a chance to finish uh, Island yet. Uh, I've, re I've read the first like story and a half. What, what's your... I'm convinced that the clock slows down for Bob. Because <laughs> he's, he's, he gets everything in, and I'm looking at the clock, and there's three or four seconds left. I always run out of time. Because he times himself. He, he's not, he doesn't come into this blind. I know, I'll never be. I know that if I fill a page with words, and I speak at my normal pace, it's three minutes. Mm -hmm. He's, Whatever. He's, he's nothing yeah. to chance. He's, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's like he's like the Batman of the lightning round. Yes. Um, uh, but like you were mentioning the price. I mean, it's the size pretty much of a trade. Yeah, you yeah. know, pretty much. I mean, it's maybe a little bit smaller, but that's why it's seven ninety nine instead of nine ninety nine. But it's almost size of like a, size of like it's a hundred some odd pages. Yeah, yeah. It is a, is a full feature thing, and uh, it's got awesome varied art. And if you're into anthology stuff, then I think it's it's a great buy. Um, you will not be not be disappointed at all mm -hmm. and you know brandon graham it, he it's the story i believe is in the multiple warheads kind of universe is, mm -hmm. is the story that's in there uh -huh. which is kind of a running thing that he's done for a while and if you're into that this is a place to get more of that but just it's so well designed and uh the the different like the the changing up of going from you know the comics to the written piece to back to the comics and the way that how different they are uh, i think is, is really cool mm -hmm. um uh, really looking forward to each month th this this thing coming yeah. out because it's just it's pretty impressive. Awesome! I can't wait to read it. Yeah. Um, all right. So, oh, I want to say, to, uh, really enjoyed both uh, Captain Marvel and Captain Britain. Uh, I, I thought that it's fascinating because a few of the books and one of the books I'm going to talk about later for my book of the week actually um, all feature people who are either know that there was something before. Or are challenging the fact mm -hmm. that there's something that there wasn't something before, which I find very very interesting. Uh, yeah, I thought the Captain Britain stuff was cool. I thought the the way they played those characters is 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 neat, and mm -hmm. that was really one of the first times. I mean, I might be mistaken, as I might have been in other books that I can remember, but we actually I think it was in that book. We get one in that book. I think we also get stuff in um, Captain Marvel. Yeah, where you see like before like 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 you know they show like the creation yeah. of captain marvel stuff like that um in in like this world they do it in the captain britain as well which i thought was kind of fascinating because they haven't done any of that uh yet so both those books are very very highly recommended uh by me at least yeah uh, the captain britain i think is only two which it's only is, two which is sad yeah but we'll yeah. take them and it features a lot of the characters from his previous stuff right yes as well as a bit that i, I didn't want to, I, I had written it down to say it and mm -hmm. backed away there's a it was a bit in the old Thunderbolts, Dark Avengers, wherever mm -hmm. you want to call that, where they went into other timelines, mm -hmm. and there's part of that here. That's a oh, that's a bit that's mm -hmm. cob from uh, Jeff Parker. Cool, cool. Uh, and I liked the uh, the Captain Britain aspect. Of yes. it. I thought the way they they went about that was really cool, and not how what I what I expected. I definitely didn't expect that. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, cool. So uh, three minutes for me and go. Um, so uh, Justice League number forty-two, Jeff Johns, Jason Fabook, uh, and Brad Anderson uh, on colors uh, continues the Dark Side War and continues to be a really huge, big, epic, you know, thing where uh, Johns has said they wanted to be like an event in, 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 to contain just in the Justice League, and, and it completely is that. Uh, it's that level of, of stuff going on. Uh, a lot of great characters mixed in that aren't characters you see every day in the DC Universe, and a really awesome last page. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. makes you say, like, what the hell is going to come yeah. from this? Uh, and I love the way... This is one of, the thing, one of the books I think is doing the best with this you know, story over continuity thing. Cause a lot of the characters are playing with here have totally different status quos now in the normal DC universe. And they're not really being beholden to following all of those things they're getting to do. He's getting to do what he wants to do with the characters, which I think is, is pretty cool. Uh, book of death number one, which is, uh, the newest valiant events kind of new or mini series in, in the, in the, in the style of, of the valiant. It's Robert Venditti, uh, and Robert Gill and Doug Braithwaite. Uh, it's, uh, it's, a lot of it is taking off right from where the Valiant kind of was and, and dealing with the death of the Geomancer and now uh, this new Geomancer and kind of the fallout from Kay dying back in the Valiant. We're dealing with it here. And again, it's the Unity Squad and everything that's going on in their relationships. And the, the lead of this, the book is the Eternal Warrior, at least in this first issue. And mm-hmm. uh, it was really good, really fun, really entertaining. A lot of stuff going on. Um, I, I think it, it's... Again, it, much like the Valiant, I don't think it's the best entrance into the universe, but it's definitely a nice bringing together of a lot of the elements of the universe. Uh, Siege number one from Kieran Gillen and Felipe Andrade. Uh, this is an Abigail Brand story. She's protecting on the wall, and um, th- it's kind of her story and what happens. It also features uh, Kang the Conqueror in it, oh. and thus deals with some time travel elements, which I think were kind of the most alluring and interesting parts of, of, of the story. I-, I think it's cool, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's going next. I will also say that Felipe Andrade's art, he really does something di- different here. I mean, mm-hmm. uh it still has that tweaked, very stylistic look to it, but it's 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 not nearly as kind of fashiony as you say as the Captain Marvel stuff is, and it, it but it's still high, highly stylized, just in a different way, which kind of definitely shows his breadth as as an artist, uh, which I think is really cool there. And uh, Robin, son of Batman, number two, uh, still really good, beautiful looking book. Patrick Leeson is writing and drawing it. Um, some really crazy big moments. It's definitely playing not straight but playing it to, into the into big moments and that stuff is really good you can definitely see gleason's kind of i think inexperience as a as a writer dealing with all these different plot elements sometimes they get a little bit clouded but overall i think it's it's a really fun uh take on, on the damien character and a great way to have him just doing all his own adventures uh and does still draw heavily on what's come before in in the gleason new 52 uh run with tomasi so and that's it there you go yeah uh steve you read book of death right i did what'd you think I enjoyed it. I did. I enjoyed it. I was um, a little lost on some characters. I'm still kind of making my way through the Valiant, like the mm. Volume 1s and stuff like that and learning who people are. But um, despite that, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was fun. I thought it was relatively inviting. Uh, there's definitely a bit of, of mystery for me in terms of just knowing how these characters interact with one another, you don't get a whole lot of each of them. So like somebody like Ninjak is still completely, you know, foreign to me to have him show up. He delivers like two lines and I'm like, okay, so this is what I got from Ninjak. (laughs) He's a, he's a wise ass Mm -hmm. it seems. But, um, I think it's cool. I think the concept's cool. The threat is awesome. Yeah. Um, I thought it was curious that 
I guess, unity is coming after the new Geomancer and the Eternal Warrior. And they've fought together before, well, right? Well, they say in the book, too, like, how do you, you know, how do you feel about doing a mission against one of our founding members? So, like, they're, yeah. he's a member yeah. of the Unity Squad, but he, it seems like, I mean, what's going on here is that there are all these deaths happening, mass deaths happening, and, and they're all by kind of means that look like the geomancer is doing it that that she's out of control her right. powers aren't she can't control her powers but the the job of of the eternal warrior is to protect the geomancer that's like his eternal eternal mission is to protect them so they the, the unity squad thinks he's he's protecting her even though she's killing all these people um okay and and, and so they're coming to take her back and if he's not going to let them do it then he's, they're going to take him down because they, they they need to save all these lives. That's my question. Yeah. Why don't they trust him? Well, because his mission is to protect. That that's like his eternal oh, so mission. I think it's like his judgment is clouded by his yeah, mission. Exactly. Okay. Because it's because yeah, that's like his. That's the reason he's eternal is yeah. is to is to protect this. Um. Yeah. No. It, I thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. I thought it was cool. I, um. I'm going to keep going with it. I've really you know, now that I've finally gotten into a couple of the Valiant books and gotten into some of the characters. Um, I don't have the money to like to keep buying the other volumes. Eventually, I'll pick a few of them up. But um, even having like the little bit of knowledge that I do about certain characters, uh, the Valiant universe as a whole has been a lot more enjoyable uh, for me. Like I can, I like as opposed to when I first tried to read the Valiant without having read any Valiant whatsoever, and I was completely lost. Now I have like a little bit of a foothold, even if I don't know half the cast. Mm-hmm. I know kind of the atmosphere of the Valiant universe now, and I can hang in there for a little bit. And uh, yeah, no, I thought I thought it was neat. I mean, I would recommend definitely um, to get a better sense at least of Eternal Warrior. I mean, he has his own series. There's a volume one to pick up of that that you could check out. Mm-hmm. He's also weaved within a lot of the other stories. They use him a lot throughout i mean he's in he's in archer and armstrong yeah um and he's in a lot of exo man of war stuff like that that's what justin was telling me he says yeah. exo man of war is the best one yeah I, I i mean i don't i don't agree with that that's that's like the, I, I think it's one of the ones that is very interesting it took me a lot of time to get into exo man of war mm-hmm. whereas like archer and armstrong and eternal warrior um i kind of got into immediately mm-hmm. uh it took me many volumes to get into exo man of war have you read the delinquents yet no i haven't you should definitely read the delinquents yeah you were saying about that a couple weeks ago you were yeah. talking about that yeah oh so funny yeah. uh i do recommend also i just picked up the trade this because it came out last week but divinity is something you should definitely read uh, is, oh right that's the matt kent yeah okay yeah matt i didn't kent. know that came out i would have bought that yeah it came out the 9.99 th- this past week um definitely check that out because it's awesome our uh, store's been a little spotty. It's a really fantastic book. They've always been spotty with trades. That's true. But I ordered stuff. That's not a place to go for trades. I ordered stuff. I got one book <laughs> out of like out of like the, the eight that I ordered. So I'm just going to have to make a special trip. Yeah. Whenever I want to get a trade, I just stop at Fourth World. Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's move right along. Let's talk about some books of the week. Is Mara still with us? Yeah, she's still yeah. with us. I haven't read any Valiant. I knew that. That's why I didn't. That's why I didn't yeah. ask her. <laughs> Only invest in one superhero universe at a time. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to pinpoint what you might like out of the stuff that I've read. Hmm. And there's a yeah. lot of good stuff. I mean, it's it, if you it's generalized superhero stuff. I think that you know the uh, some of the Harbinger stuff. I think is pretty good. I think that um, I think Archer and Armstrong. Armstrong. Strong. It's, it's very funny. It is funny. It's very very funny. Yeah, I've heard good things about that one. 
Quantum um, and Woody's good too. Quantum and Woody is really awesome and very, very funny. Uh, all right, Steve. All right. Book of the week. What do you got for us? I got a book called The Divine by uh, Asaf Hanukkah and Tomar Hanukkah. And uh, I want to read this thing that they have in the back because I was I read this book and I was like, hmm, I'm like, this, this looks like it almost could be real. Like this could <laughs> be something that actually happened. And I get to the back of the book and I find out, ahem, in January 2000, Associated Press photographer uh, Ap- Apricot or Apricot uh, Werong took a photo of two 12-year-old twins. It was taken immediately following the raid of a hospital by the Thai army uh, where those twins held 800 people as hostages. Oh, Look God. at these kids. Like you, I know you guys can't see it because it's radio, <laughs> but like they're like cigarette chomping. Yeah. You, like they look like old men kind of kind of <laughs> kids, right? And um, so it says, uh, Wairong's photo was quickly uh, distributed all over the world, becoming an unparalleled image of childhood without childhood. Chain-smoking child soldiers, their eyes uh, as tired as if they were 50 years older. Like many others, uh, we are captivated by this photo. For several years, we would uh, take a look at it from time to time, trying to decipher it, learn something about childhood, about life, extreme circumstances, and about ourselves. What they don't say in this uh, little blurb, I actually went online and started reading more about it, is that there were stories that the re- the one of the reasons they were able to keep the 800 hostages for so long was because one of the twins, the long-haired twin, was believed by the villages to have magical abilities, like bestowed on him from the surrounding area, that there was a spirit uh, within the forest that allowed him, like if people tried to leave, he would just show up and like he would be like on the outskirts of, of their boundaries, like their areas, their camp, and they would see him and they would just walk back in. They're like, well, why didn't you leave? You had an opening and there's I can't leave. So what the divine is, is it's a team of two guys. The book opens up with a guy in a helicopter and he's like your typical, you know, buzz cut, beefy, big dark glasses. And he's shooting whatever he can shoot uh, while in the helicopter. One of these assholes that's just gunning people down for sport, right? And laughing about it. And uh, they had just come from basically uh, bombing an extraction site, like uh, closing caves off so that nobody can go into them once they've been mined and they're dead. And um, so there's all this billowing smoke left from the job that they once did. And he sees something in the smoke and decides that he's just going to open fire on it without knowing what it is. And he hits it. And he goes home. Uh, Fast forward a couple of days, he gets offered a new job and then turns to one of his co-workers and friends who is kind of a, like, logistics uh, bomb maker. He's the one that figures out the patterns to blow these places so that, you know, not too much damage happens or surrounding villages don't get affected by the blast, so on and so forth. And he's got a kid on the way. So big beefy guy convinces, you know, dad to basically take this trip. It's like 44 grand for three days worth of work. So he lies to his to his wife and goes off on this trip. And they lay all this groundwork for explosives within this volcano. And it just so happens that that volcano or that, that cave land is on the land of these child soldiers. And they intervene when they try to, uh, you know, blow this place up. And they take him hostage. And they, uh, stuff happens. I'm just gonna, I don't want to say, I don't want to say too much, mm-hmm. but, um, 
the artwork for it is really, really interesting. The the colors are super bold, like all the inks and stuff like that. The vistas of the the forest that they're in and stuff like that is just absolutely gorgeous. Lots of um just like weird shadows moving around on the pages. All the attitudes and, and um like dialogue of the children is really they're really creepy and they're extraordinarily commanding. Like you wouldn't expect that kind of authority from these small children. And this guy just wants to get home, realizes that he's made a mistake and he's trespassed, but he's kind of a good guy too. So he wants to help them while helping himself. And uh, it just amounts to all-out war on on both sides. And towards the end of the book, it gets really, really exciting. Uh, I highly recommend it. If you're into like any kind of like folklore, like foreign folklore or or true-to-life things, that this this is actually... You know, these groups of kids exist. And, you know, what if they were living in a territory where, like, world magics still existed? And they decided to take one of them as a vessel and said, you know, you're going to, you know, preside over this land. And if should anybody come and, and mess with it, you know, you have to keep me safe. And what happens when they fail? That's That's what the divine is. Uh, and this is from another awesome book from First Second. It's publishers killing it with yeah. with books. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Awesome. Awesome. There, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really really enjoyed it. That's all. That's all I got. All right. <laughs> Sounds great. It's a little bit like a like a crooked Mickey Mouse. Yes. With the the two ears. A very yeah. intense, scary Mickey Mouse. Like a Chinese dragon. Uh, Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Make sure you buy that cover quick before Disney sues. <laughs> <laughs> now that you've said that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of cool stuff. There's like like artist conceptual things in the back. There's uh, it looks like maybe alternate cover ideas. And um it just it goes to places that you don't necessarily expect. There are really a, a lot of uh, at least like four or five good surprises throughout the story and it just ups the ante more and more as you yeah. as you turn the page. How much is a uh, cover price on that? Uh this cover price is 19.99. Okay. I got it, uh, I believe, for like 11 off of Amazon. Cool. So, uh, man. Awesome. Awesome. That's The Divine. Yep, The Divine from right. first second. All right. Mara. My book of the week, my pick is Rachel Rising number 35. Um, I, I can't remember. Have you guys read any Rachel Rising? Yep. I read the first three volumes, I believe, three or four okay. volumes. Yeah, it, sounds it, about right. It's been it's, it's been since the yeah. low twenties, I think, is when I I kind of fell off. It's I'm, getting so good. Hasn't <laughs> it always been so good, though, Mark? It's, I mean, it just I don't know how it keeps getting better. <laughs> um, I mean this this particular series is you know every week it comes out it's my top of the pile book. It's you know just as soon as it it arrives on my doorstep, I just fly into it and then I sit there for a minute and then I go back and reread it um so I, I, in general I feel like a lot of people don't know much about the series or you know kind of glance over it because it is self-published it's by Terry Moore and he he does everything with it the cover art the story the interiors inks and then his wife um is his is his publisher so you know it's, it's a comic that I really don't see on a lot of shelves in the first place. And that makes me sad because this is a case of, you know, if you buy the issue every month, he gets to make more mm-hmm. and I want more. <laughs> so, you know, call to arms. If you guys like stories about, you know, witches and the 
coming of end times and murderous little girls and uh, Lilith. <laughs> and who and, doesn't? Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's up everyone's alley. Like it's <laughs> it's the perfect comic. It's awesome. Uh, uh, so um, with issue thirty five, we're going. Uh, so Lilith is back, and that is the the first woman, the one. And this is something that you know is really cool about this particular series. Is I'm like, who's Lilith? What's that mean? And I had to go and look it up. That's and Adam's first wife. Yeah. Exiled yeah. to where is the, always been the question, but here she is. Exiled, and she's in the comic. Yes. <laughs> and um, so Lilith plays a big role in this particular issue, and she drops this like huge truth bomb on Rachel, which starts putting pieces together because you know she wakes up in the middle of a field, and she's dead. But is she really? And she has these memories, and you know all these things are starting to to pull together, and we're starting to get more information about why Lilith is so involved in Rachel's life and who is Rachel and why is she kind of dead, kind of alive. And then the whole thing with Zoe and her, her little murder knife that she carries around. (laughs) And, uh, not, not a whole lot of, of plot happens in this issue. It's more kind of emotional and, and dialogue and really prepping for this big event that's coming soon. But that's what I like about the series. Each issue has something completely different. I think it was, um, Issue 34, where we had a great heart-to-heart between Earl and Jet, and it was just so sweet and romantic. And, you know, that's kind of Terry Moore's strength is that he's able to create this this story that pulls together so many different elements and is still cohesive and engaging. And you really start rooting for all the characters, including, you know, murderous children. So. <laughs> I'm sensing uh, a theme in tonight's show. <laughs> there you go. Um, Mars got my so, back. So Rachel Rising, uh, 35, and I think as far as volumes out, I think there are five. I think there are five volumes of the of the series that have come out. That sounds right. I remember a few years ago uh, when we were talking about this series. I remember the initial volumes were hard to find at that time, mm-hmm. but I think they've reprinted them by now because I remember the first couple of volumes they were selling for like ridiculous amounts yes. of money for a while yes when Stephanie yeah. was bringing it onto the show a couple times yeah 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 my first I think my first issue first printing first issue is signed by Terry Moore oh I, I met, totally geeked uh, out <laughs> <laughs> I was like I love your comic please sign mine <laughs> I met uh, Terry Moore and his wife I believe at the last New York City Comic Con uh-huh. super they are super the nice nicest people. they are the nicest they are very nice uh, they had a lot of great, uh, great things for sale, too. Did you hear about... Uh, are you a fan of uh, Strangers in Paradise, Mara? Yes. Did you hear about the... I think it's coming to... I can't remember what it's called right now. Thr- Th- Thrillbent? Thrillbent, the Mark Wade Digital. They're bringing it back for like oh. a digital like weekly book or whatever, or monthly book. Cool. Like they're republishing it? No, I think they're doing new stuff. Really? I think so, yeah. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Strangers in Paradise. I think last... Or two years ago for my birthday, I got the Omnibuy nice. for it, and I mean, I just devoured it. It's so good. What is that one about, by the way? Well, you know, life. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, you have Kachu and Francine, who are these friends since high school, and Francine has always kind of had bad luck with men, and Kachu is a lesbian, is not a lesbian, is kind of whatever. Love is is what it is. And there's some, like, gang involvement and 
it, it really the best way to describe it is just like how these two women grow and how their lives intersect and what they learn from each other and how um, I don't know it's so it's so odd like, hmm. like it, you just it's so emotional and you start really diving into these characters lives and just you know you know because she was an artist and she's trying to express her feelings and Francine bounces back and forth with her weight you know because she she's an emotional eater and has problems with her family so that's basically the, the comic draws a lot from daily occurrences nice very it's, cool it's wonderful and if they're adding new stuff or republishing it i mean i can't recommend it enough um i was wrong it's not it's not new stuff i'm sorry to get your hopes up i just double checked my uh, oh. facts but they are they're they're serializing it and publishing an issue a week on thrill bent um and it's gonna be part of like their subscription service so it's like four dollars a month to like get all their comics and stuff <laughs> and now they're adding this to it it's not extra money or anything so um you can get those all of it it's gonna come out mm-hmm. all of it's gonna come out and as long as you pay the fee you'll, you'll have all of it so they um i was waiting because after i'd read rachel rising i wanted to read more terry Moore stuff and mm-hmm. i'd heard really good things about strangers in paradise so they re- released a giant box set mm-hmm. that was everything yeah and they did like one order of it and then they were gone and now they're like a hundred and something dollars right. on <laughs> the th- it, yeah yeah not not cool man yeah no not cool um yeah. Mar- read you echo re- read echo echo okay. oh that's right you recommended that to me a while ago oh it's so good I'll get that. Mark, have you ever, ever read any? Book. Have you read ever read any Love and Rockets? Uh, no. You should check out some Love and Rockets. I mean, yeah. it's it's it it sometimes it has like more tweaked situations than we were talking about with Strangers in Paradise, but that's what it deals with. It deals with more like mundane real life situations with very interesting characters. I mean, and, there, and there's so much of it. I mean, he has done so much of it. He's done spinoff oh. books, but uh, the Love Bunglers, which is a book that we talked about a lot last year, yep, it, right. is sort of like a spinoff of, of that series. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really, if you like the, that kind of stuff, like what Strangers in Paradise is doing, then uh, you, I think you'll really like um, uh, the Love and Rockets stuff. Okay. Strangers in Paradise is back in stock. Nice, a hundred bucks, hundred bucks for everything. But it's it's all there though, and it's huge. Yeah, it's a it's a really big and it looks like a gorgeous, gorgeous set. Yeah, is is the set you're talking about like the pocket books, like the? It's the Strangers in Paradise omnibus. They're okay. big. They're the big two... hardcover books. Yeah, that's that's what I have. The two huge books. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's wonderful. It's yeah. great. I want to read it. Wasn't Rachel? supposed to end at one point after 22 or 24 issues or something that's what he had said when they were about like issue 18 or 19 he was talking about that and they were supposed to have that but then he changed it not long after that saying like he'll, he'll keep doing it as long as it makes sense for him him to do it oh. as far as money wise goes um or until he's done telling he thinks he's done telling the story yeah. but uh, i think he did initially because i didn't i think that was like a plan because of self-publishing and not knowing how much it would bring in, but I think it w- it's successful enough where he can keep doing it, but he'll only keep doing it if it keeps, you know, it doesn't cost him money to make it. So buy yeah. Rachel Rising, everyone. If yeah. Interested in seeing it continue. I mean, it got optioned, right, for like that, like a TV deal or something like that. I, I, don't, think, I don't know if it's gonna, ever going to happen, but it was one of those books that got optioned, so I think he probably got some green for that, yeah, at nice least. Nice infusion of cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Stephen, we saw Michael Allred. Where he's talking yep. about all the things they had optioned that they never made, but mm-hmm. he still cashed the checks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let him do anything he wanted, basically, because it was yeah. like, oh, I get a check for Madman. Yeah. They're never going to make it, but I don't care. Yeah. Uh, all right. Bob, what is your book of the week this week? Well, speaking of Michael Allred, <laughs> like the way I did that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It is Silver Surfer 13, and 
Dan Slott and Michael and Laura Allred, of course, still uh, on this book. And it will be a real shame if this series does not get announced as being part of the all-new, all-different roster. It's just month after month, this has just been a an absolute gem each month to just read and embrace. And this is the first of a two-part last days. I'm starting to get goofy already. Uh, and this story... Norrin and Dawn are, are heading back to Earth after finding a new home for the six billion, less a half dozen galactic survivors of New Haven. And Dawn suggests that they should drop in on some old friends along the way. After all, you know, it's not like Earth is going anywhere. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and we, you pick up anyone who's read, read number 12, that ended with, a lovely kiss between Dawn and Norn, and we begin <laughs> right there here. They're flying through the constellation of Scryath, which is short for the new constellation Sad Crab in a Top Hat. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were sitting looking at, 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 at the constellations, and Norn's pointing at all the ones we know, and Dawn is Dawn. Well, that one looks like a Sad Crab in a Top Hat, which he thinks is hysterical. He just goes with that. So they're flying through space, embracing and... Briefly, where the silver surfer soars, he soars alone. How many times have I said that aloud, casting those words out into the void? Not today, for with you at my side, Dawn Greenwood, I now know true, and all the crap starts to hit the fan. Uh, board vibrates, weird things go on. They, they take their trip, and what you get are just pages of pure delight as they revisit all the steps they've made going out. To coming back so all these weird little places and odd villains who became friends and friends who kind of became antagonists just beautifully beautiful done artwork the story the the subtle use of deep emotions if there, it sounds like an oxymoron but it's it's all just here and all of a sudden there's a warning from the never queen who the, the surfer saved way way back returned her heart to her you must run. You must get out. And they have to go backwards in time. It's their only way out. They're, the pages in that sequence are just amazing. Remember the issue with the Mobius yep. loop? It's that sort of thing all over again in just sharp relief here. As they get to a void, they meet a couple of characters who I'd been thinking all along might lead to things getting fixed. You think so? Well, one of them's Glorion, the maker of miracles. Okay. And he's explained to the surfer, well, yeah, we can sort of fix things. His powers, he goes way back to uh, first appeared in a, sort of in a Fantastic Four arc 135, 137, because he was saved by the shaper of worlds. These who names. was introduced by uh, Archie Goodwin and Herb Trimpey back in Hulk 155, who he created a world for the Hulk to live in peacefully. Things don't go well, but what the Shaper can do, he has no imagination of his own, but he can feed on other people. Okay. And that Fantastic Four issue, they find themselves trapped in this world remade by the son of one of their villains, who's uh, Gideon from FF34, for whatever this is all worth. I'm really rambling now, guys. Sorry. And Thomas Gideon is, he creates a world from, of the 50s. And there's a big villain with a giant Sputnik on his head and so on. And he becomes his aide. 
So I, who knows what's going to happen here? But there, there are bits and pieces being thrown in by Dan Slott of very deep history. This is just a beautiful issue. If you've been following this, you want to keep going. If you haven't been, you want to buy the trades as they come out. I have a question. Sure. As I drop my phone. <laughs> um, you said fix everything. Do you mean fix everything just in the Silver Surfer comic or overall? I think we could do both, but I don't think they're going to fix everything afterwards. But there is the possibility. That we, these characters, as, as Franklin was always a, an option because that happened once before where he saved everyone and then brought it all back as mm-hmm. need be. If Marvel decides somewhere down the road that, you know, when we come back, it's what, eight months out? They're going to push everything forward. Yes, that's what they have said, yes. So we don't know what happens in between. So a lot of things could change. I'm just playing, you know, script doctor, so to speak. Do we think that they would do all of this, though, just to end up going back to the way things were? Well, no, they're not going to. I mean, that's... (laughs) Okay. But I mean, they're gonna. But the the Earth has to somehow go from what it is in the battle world well, to in, being to back to like a something that resembles right. an Earth. I just don't want one of Bob's favorite books giving him false hope. <laughs> no, no, again, no. I, I the possibilities exist for everything. I think these two characters might be involved in the restoration. What gets restored? How much of it gets restored? What they decide to keep? What parts of the pizza stick and what parts fall onto the mm-hmm. floor? We don't know yet. But I think here. Mm-hmm. I I could be very wrong, but I have the funny feeling that there are some seeds sown here for what you're going to need to read moving forward. That was kind of what was interesting about that Ant-Man annual that I talked about earlier because of the, the Rage of Ultron graphic novel that came out. Like something gets directly addressed and it was one of those, like one of the biggest things about that. And it was interesting that they, they were talking about it as if it was continuity mm-hmm. and there was that whole like is it or isn't part of the new universe and we never really got a clear answer on that and that annual kind of addresses that i'm not going to say what it is because i don't want to give it away for people that are going to pick it up but um yeah not everyone read that no gm at 25 bucks or whatever it was at the time yeah it was it was interesting yeah. i liked it i'm really happy that you said it, 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 it now is it this one and another one that's the two it's yes. two part last days okay so i mean i'll definitely yeah nice cliffhanger sure i hope i haven't spoiled too much no but uh Fun stuff, but consequences. Mm, nice. Awesome. Uh, Mara, do you read Silver Surfer? I read the first volume. Okay. Uh, and that's that's all I've read. I feel like we talked about this last time you were on the show, and now I'm just remembering that I asked you that <laughs> whatever, like, I really enjoyed ago. it, but, you know, it just didn't it just didn't stick on my my weekly or monthly list. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, that's I do have tri- Marvel Unlimited, so I can go back and, yeah. and read previous issues. That second set of stories has their Galactus trilogy, which mm. was just awesome. Eight, yeah. nine, and ten, I guess it I was. I think yeah. it was, yeah. yeah. Really, really fantastic. I uh, I messaged Mara from the train the other day. I saw her New York uh, doppelganger. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to be creepy and take a photo. Oh, come like, on. From it's no, New York. I don't Everyone's do that. Yeah, yeah. If I'm not going to take a photo, you look like my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, go and be like, do you mind? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, let me explain this to you. For yeah. But it Your was. this comic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've never oh. met you, but obviously, like, I've seen pictures of you online and stuff. And I just, I did a double take. I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, she's even wearing, like, a Mara outfit. <laughs> <laughs> and she had the glasses and the haircut, 
and just like the like your facial structure is like what is happening right now <laughs> and it was the whole like hour and a half ride so every now and again like our eyes would would lock because i'm like <laughs> i'm reading and i'm reading but every now and again i'm like man i'm like it's so uncanny and she saw me looking at her a couple times yeah. and i felt like a jerk <laughs> if you had walked over and pulled up our website with a picture of Mar. Look, you look just like my friend. She was with, I think, nine of her friends. <laughs> oh, so gosh. all yeah, I needed was like, you know, a, <laughs> a telephone <laughs> conversation about the weird guy that came up to her on the train. God forbid I see them on the way back. Be like, it's you again. <laughs> like, you still look like my friend. Yeah. <laughs> so it was funny. Right. Awesome. Uh, Silver Surfer, what's the number, Bob? 13. 13. All right, great. Um, moving on to me, I have a. Uh, Hail Hydra, number one, is my book of the week. It's Rick Remender and Roland uh, Bashi, who did uh, Winter Soldier, The Bitter March uh, last year, that miniseries that, that we all, all really loved. And um, this is a part of Battle World ruled by Hydra completely. Um, but our Into the World, and this is something I didn't read the... Uh, I read the first issue of the Rick Remender, Captain America thing, and nothing else. So this is the child that he finds in Dimension Z that he brings back who becomes Nomad in Ian, I, Ian yes Lillian. in in the in the regular universe. So what happens apparently at the end of Captain America apparently is um he goes in to stop Baron Zemo in a base. The base blows up. You think he's dead, but he actually jumped in the infinite elevator and when it stops, it's in Battle World. So he flat out is from the 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 past earth so he has no idea what what, what is happening That's cool. um it's a yeah cool concept. it was a really cool concept and that was one of the, my favorite things just starting it out i picked it up because of it being the winter soldier team and i wanted to i wanted to see what they were doing because i loved how they worked together in the last one and um the artist is still is still great here it's slightly less i think you know noirish or like it was mm-hmm. in, in that book but it's still really really nice and you know above all else what the story is about is this guy showing up here and not accepting what everyone accepts as the reality, which is Hydra rules. There's nowhere to go. You know, they, they rule under the, you know, under the permission of God Emperor Doom. So there's no really questioning them. And people try, but they always get caught. They always get taken away. And there's something they can do. And he really, really challenges that. And the story is, is very simple in that way, which is that he happens upon someone out who is, you know, it's almost got like that kind of V for Vendetta feel where there's someone he's like, like somehow vandalizing, a spray painting a message on a wall, and these sort of immediately these these like henchmen for Hydra are there with their ships and 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 their soldiers, and you know they, they come to take him away, and they the, he you know Ian gets away, the other guy gets taken, but Ian can't live with the fact that this guy got taken because he was there, you know, so he goes out there and he goes in this Hydra base, and it's this big kind of you know escape sequence and, and stuff like that, and really entertaining really fun i don't know the character at all but in just in these 20 something pages I, I grew to really like him and and his attitude and and his outlook and it's also interesting because he's a stranger in a strange land in this hydra world but he also has you know sort of the residue from being raised in a different dimension and he doesn't quite he's still unsure is this like how things do things just go really, really wrong when I was inside this elevator? How long was I in there? Like, is this how people act here? You know, all the, the, this kind of stuff, which I thought was cool. So it was like almost like a double 
stranger sort of feeling to it mm. i really really liked it a lot I, I i'm looking forward to the rest of the series and you know obviously we know remender's kind of taking a break from doing marvel comics for a while i'm looking forward to seeing if this character continues in the new universe and i think they've already said i think he's actually going to be in captain america and what what goes on with him because i i do really like him in in, in this book I'm going to have to check that out. That that concept really sounds awesome. Yeah, it was neat. I like the idea of somebody finally questioning what's going on, because since the start of all this stuff, it's been kind of like, this is the way it is now, or this is the way it's always been kind of thing. The idea that somebody wasn't there for the change mm-hmm. and just kind of woke up there, if you will. That's neat. Yeah. And we've seen that, right, with the, the last Secret Wars. We saw, like, we've seen, like, the, the group that kind of was in the lifeboat coming back. And mm-hmm. we've seen other characters doubting it. We've seen Captain mm-hmm. Marvel, yeah. Captain Britain. We've seen them doubting it. Um, but it's interesting this guy came straight from the other world, but he wasn't part of the lifeboat. How many issues is that supposed to be? I think it's going to be the same as all of them, four or five, probably. Okay. Um, doesn't say here on it, but um, I'm sure it'll be four or five issues for that. But it was really, really good. Hail Hydra, Rick Remender, and Roland Bashi. Sold me. Awesome book. All right. So from one Marvel series that's just starting to one that has ended. Hawkeye number 22. Uh, Matt Fraction, David Aja, and uh, Matt Hollingsworth on colors. Chris Eliopoulos on letters. So I don't even remember when <laughs> issue 21 came out. I think it was around Comic-Con of last year. That sounds about right. I, I'm pretty sure that's the last time it came out. So we're we're talking at this point ten months since since the last issue came out, and it had been many months since the issue before that had had come yep. out. Um, do you have issue twenty one in front of you, Steve? I do. Um, can you check the the publish date inside for me? I can. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> if you want a magnifying glass, Bob has one. For April two thousand fifteen. Really? That's what really? it says. So that, so that makes it the, the very first thing. It's interesting. Hawkeye number 21, April 2015. This okay, actually... Okay, but that could be the publication date. It might not have been when it actually hit the stands. Or right, whatever. yeah. Is, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to look at it right now. I mean, I feel yeah. like we we got this not too, too long ago because I remember you brought it up on the show and I was like sour on it. I was like, ah, oh, like it's been so long, blah, 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 February 4th, 2015. Okay. That's when it actually yeah. that's when it actually came out. So, so I guess it's not as long as I thought, but it's still eight six months from yeah. ago it's a long time it's a long yeah. time to be away from a book especially with only one issue to go yeah yes and and it's been promised many times and, and it got delayed many times and you know we've talked about it uh several times about about the about the the amount of time it's to come out and how it's really kind of turned a series that we all talked about and loved so much mm-hmm. um into something that is something we we've lost the thread on it's marvel's um, sandman overture yeah uh <laughs> issue 20 came out by the way on september 10th 2014 Wow. So, so two issues in 12 months. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but it's here. And I just wanted to get that out of the way because that was something that we, we've been talking about for a while and it's been a long time. And, and so coming into reading this issue, uh, I was thinking, is it going to have the impact on me? Am I going to care anymore? Or am I just going to be like, okay, it's over now. I wish I wish I hadn't limped to the end. I wish that we had gone strong uh to the end and you know here we have the the culmination of clint's story kate's story barney's story everybody's story is really culminated here uh in 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 this issue and you know i will say we're we're not going to get into you know deep like it was actually the last page of the book but 
if you if you're worried about getting spoiled on, on any of the status quo of Hawkeye over the last couple of years, then you're probably going to not want to listen to this because we are going to de- we're going to talk about Hawkeye and, and we're not going to intentionally say like you know this person died, this person that or whatever. But there's going to be things that brought up that might spoil it for you. So if you want zero percent known about it, then you probably don't want to listen to what we're going to talk about. Uh, but I, I mean, I I'll, I'll just start out with just my general impressions of, of number twenty two. I thought it delivered. And, and it really delivered in spades for me. I didn't go back. I intentionally did not go back and read any of the previous issues because I wanted to see, like, what would my experience be like it is? Just getting it, having read the last issue the day it came out, mm-hmm. and then reading this issue now six months later when, when, when this next issue comes out. Will it will have any effect on me? Will I feel anything? Will I know what's going on? Uh, and I, I will say that having finished it and read it, I thought that it all of those things paid off for me. Um, all the threads, I still, I'm going to go back now and read the, again, so I'm sure I'll get more out of it going back and reading it, but all the threads worked for me. It's, it retains, you know, the humor and the drama and the character relationships that have been there the entire time. And I think I was telling Bob when we were sitting at CM and I told him I had read it and I said, it's going, it's going to make you sad for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. One story-wise, there's some sad stuff that happens. Um, two, you're going to be sad that it's done. And three, you're going to be sad because now it makes you remember just how unbelievably great Hawkeye was as a series and how it was like nothing else that was out when, when it came out. And it's it's reading it now, even with all the changes Marvel has made and kind of in its wake, I think, have essentially made stuff a little bit more quirky on purpose to kind of try to capitalize on that success. It still feels unique compared to everything else that that has come around with it and you know, it's a fitting end. I'm sad to see it go, but I'm glad that it could end in in such a a strong, strong manner. Uh, Mara, what did you think? I had completely forgotten what happened in issue 21. <laughs> so, I'm I was reading this issue. I'm like, what are they even doing? What's <laughs> who is this person again? <laughs> uh, so it did not have an impact on me, <laughs> and I, I felt really bad about it because I'm like, I used to be really into this series, but I'm sitting like, who's this guy with the painted face? You know, what? why is this guy with the handlebar must, uh, mustache going on? What happened to Kate's face and arms and everything? Um, but after I read it, I decided to go back and kind of like refresh my memory a little bit. And it it makes a lot more sense now. I'm not so utterly confused. But I think having it published so far apart from the other issues, I think it really is a huge disservice to the story at least in my perspective where you know i have no idea what was happening i forgot yeah i mean absolutely absolutely i mean that's a big danger of of, of what, how they released the book but after going back and reading it all again how did you feel about it all together better mm-hmm. um i'm still kind of uh still don't like barney <laughs> <laughs> but i you know, like the Lemire series has been coming out at the same time. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm I'm more invested and more um, interested in his current take on Hawkeye than I than I am in this one. Like I thought it was a good ending to the series, but like I said, it was kind of like, well, okay, you know, was it was it really worth waiting that long? Yeah, um, I, I wish it had come out. Why was it delayed? Did they ever say? No, it just schedules, I think. Just schedules? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I started going back and I read the first three or four issues of the series again. And then I read like 20, 21 
or 19, 20, 21, and then 22 again. Um, but at this point, I think I have to go and read the entire series and just go cover to cover with each issue to see if I get the impact that I wanted. Yeah, I mean, because I think a lot of the threads, right, that are going on in this issue are, are a lot, I mean, get start getting set up in those middle issues. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the the flip between Kate and Barney when they're, Kate and Barney, Kate and Clint, when they're in separate places, that's when you get Barney introduced and all that stuff starts to happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, but interesting, very interesting take. Uh, Steve, what do you think? Uh, so my deal with this is that I hadn't read 21 before reading 22. <laughs> okay. Because it came out and I was like, what's the point? Like, why Why am I going to read this now when I know that the next one isn't going to show up for months? I imagine you in black and white like a French film, like smoking a cigarette. Yeah. What is the point? <laughs> What's the point of all this? Um, so I sat down today, and I picked up 21, and I was really quite shocked. I opened it up, and I expected, because I know myself, and I'm a bit of a grump from time to time, and I'm sitting down, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm like, I'm going to sit down. And like, I'm going to ruin this thing for myself and it's just going to be, it's not going to have the same, you know, impact and power and, you know, I'm going to not remember anything. And I'll say this, I have no idea where they got all the money. I don't remember that at all. I don't remember <laughs> a do I. damn thing about <laughs> it. Like the 21 starts off with them. And, um, this is not a super spoiler, but Barney and Quinn are sitting around in a basement with a bunch of money. Uh, mm. And I'm like, yep. No idea. No idea. I don't remember a damn thing. But to this book's credit and to the the creative team and to everything else, as I started to read it, started to turn the page, I got right back into Matt Fraction's Hawkeye mode and sat there with a big stupid smile on my face at the idea of reading the book again, just reading it again. And I'm sitting there like, man, I'm like, I could have felt this months ago. Like I've robbed myself of, of the, but now I have both of them. Yeah. I could read them back to back. And for me, it like it read both of them together, kind of read like the last half hour of like a crazy action movie, like a Guy Ritchie, one of the good ones, mm-hmm. one of the good like uh, Guy Ritchie movies. And it's just so something so authentic about it and there's something so solid about the characterizations the art is just absolutely stunning there there's so much to be said about what happens and like you talk about sometimes about negative space you were talking what book did you talk about last week there was a guy in like in the trees and there were uh leaves uh, oh everywhere. we're talking about injection yeah yeah injection yeah just like the impact of like the punches and and things blowing up and the the creative ways like the dialogues like I, I talk a lot about dialects and how I like dialects the tracksuit Dracula dialect is still really funny <laughs> and it works and it's just this there just this like bastardized Russian yeah. kind of thing and such a great group of villains that have you know remained throughout this whole thing that they told this whole story with these guys just kind of you know marching along in the background providing such humor to the villain portion of this of this big story mm-hmm. and um i really really got into it i really got into it and 22 specifically like i said it just for me it played out like a really big ending to like a, an action movie that I absolutely love. It's one of those things that I know when you have it all collected and you read it from beginning to end that 
all of that time that you spent away from it, that will be removed from the experience and you'll mm-hmm. just have the story. And I tried to keep that in mind too. I wasn't like purposefully trying to sabotage myself to not enjoy it or to be like the other voice on the podcast where I come in and I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, all this time above it. I was prepared to be that person. And the book was so damn good that I found that I couldn't be. And it's seriously, it's a testament to to just how awesome the book is. And uh, I really, I enjoyed it from beginning to end. And I, my, my jaw dropped like at least three or four times. I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> and you will have to read it to find out what goes on with what. But um, just amazing. Like for, for me personally to be away from something for so long, for so many months, uh, to get back into it without like having gone back to read a couple of issues to catch myself up, it really surprised me with just how into it I was and how much it entertained me and how satisfying the end was. Because ends are hard. Mm-hmm. Like endings are, are hard to land. And then you have this whole this time thing and attitudes and grumpiness and, and you know, false promises of it coming out and everything. And it finally comes out and it's like all of that time that you spent away from it never even happened. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just awesome. I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was great. Bob. I did what you did. I thought it would have been sort of a cheat to go back and read it first. Let me just see if people are going to experience it based on we put this out there mm-hmm. for people to read. And all the things you said came true. I was sad at so many different levels within and without the book. All that said, everything that was great about this series is here. It's within the pages of this comic in, in microcosm. It's all there. It's humor and and reality but it's it's hyper extended it's bizarre and funny and human and deep and all those things that made this something special there's a lovely uh, essay at the end uh, sana amanat who describes how this book changed comic storytelling not only at marvel at dc everything changed because we could do this slice of life with a superhero character mm-hmm. and just his regular life and trying to run a building and keeping his own sort of miserable personal life going as we see later on in this book you know we get to see all the various exes and sort of wannabes so many callbacks to other little plot points and developments and they're laid out in such a way that just as you're saying steve i i found myself picking up on them as i went yeah it all started coming back to me and that's a pretty tough road uh, road to hoe when there hasn't been six months and then six months before that and mm-hmm. have it all come back together yeah, it's, I think I think it's it's that it's so much its own thing, you know. Like we say that I mean, and it's true. Like this book has kind of spurned out into a couple of other things, and there are certain projects that exist now that perhaps couldn't before something like Hawkeye came along, and publishers saw like the power of a type of book like this and yes. to do something radically different. But I really think that it speaks to like the tone of the book and the atmosphere of the book, and just that it's this, you know, it's an apartment building story. It's a story about just one building mm-hmm. with the people that live in it. And yeah, it it went off and Kate did her thing and stuff like that. But it all comes back to what we where it started, you know, and, and everyone trying to attack this place. And as as the reader, I felt, you know, uh, protective mm-hmm. of, of that building, just like Clint does. And they're storming, you know, they're storming the building. And I'm like, oh, no, you don't. And then, <laughs> then you know, they go they go all yeah. home alone. And it's <laughs> it's great. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I'll say this, like, I think there are very few characters that I like more than Kate Bishop. Yeah. You know, I, I just think that she is everything in this book and, and she's always kind of been the, I think the, the center of the book in a lot yes. of ways, emotionally and, and even intelligence wise, everything. And, you know, there's just, there's this moment, first of all, the moment, the beginning of the book her, where, her she, entrance. where she's walking up yeah. and she's got like these, these sun, wearing the sunglasses yeah. in the middle of the night. Uh, yeah, and this, yeah. you know, it's, Hey Hawkeye, welcome home. We beat the bad guys yet. And she says, fixing to while she, yeah. while she's fixing her sunglasses, which is just amazing. And then her entrance is great. And then there is this moment where she kind of is taking out or, or, you know, t- facing down the, the, the track suit Dracula and the way that she bests him is so great. It's such a great moment. Uh, you know, it's 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 amazing how her character is on here, and there and there isn't a ton of dialogue in this issue, but so much is said with the art and David Aja. You know, I, I don't think I don't know if he's been better um, in any of the issues. I mean, there's been more I think inventive panel layouts uh, before that he's done, where he's they, they've kind of really played with the structure of books, but here just the the raw detail and, and emotion and. and force and, and kineticism that, that exists here, I think he, it's at the top of his game. Uh, it's tremendously it. cinematic. Mm-hmm. And Steve, you're talking about it being an action movie. This is Assault on Precinct 13. It's yeah. an old Western. It's all these things. It is sort of home alone. There are some humorous aspects to this. <laughs> and you you involve the neighborhood. I don't want to, don't want to say too much <laughs> along those lines, but we get the idea. I think it, it's re- the book reaches outward to us as the fans, and that's us being protective it's of this book as we have as well. Uh, can't say enough about Matt Hollingsworth's colors, too. Oh, yeah. It's funny. There was a there was a point in the book where I kind of felt like uh, I started thinking about Gail Simone's The Movement at one, yeah. one point towards the end. There was uh, this one particular page that uh, sent me back to that book. That was such a great series. If anybody listening <laughs> to the show hasn't, or hasn't been listening that long... Uh, and we used to talk about it all the time. Check out the movement from Gail Simone. It is good stuff. I think both trades are out at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, Mara, anything else you want to say about Hawkeye? I love Kate <laughs> so much. I, You know, when you were going on and on about her, I was thinking, like, why Why do I like Kate so much? She's so self-centered. She's so arrogant about everything. I'm like, I like her because she reminds me <laughs> of me. Because <laughs> um, every time she, she struts on the, the panel, I'm like, Damn girl, let's get it. Let's show them this yeah. boss. Um, and and that was something you know. Like I said, I, after reading this issue, I went back to read a couple more Hawkeye issues. So I was like, yeah, that's why I like Kate. Yeah. I I like her because she's better than everyone, and she knows it. And I I connect to that. There's yeah. this 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 panel here. Like she's she's walking through the the like. There's a huge explosion. She's walking through the smoke and fog with Pizza Dog. And I just like I picture it in slow motion, you know, one of those like dramatic walks walk away from the explosion shots, fixing her glasses, just like big music score uh, queued up in the background. Schwarzenegger's Commando or yeah. something like that. Yeah, she's ready to ready to beat some ass. Well, like if there's anything cool to be done, she will do it. Mm-hmm. Like, if oh there's yeah, any way to do anything remotely awesome looking or you know unpredictable, she's she's going to figure out how she can do it. Absolutely, and, and I, you, so speaking of what you said, Mara, you get the sense every time she enters the room with Clint, 
you feel like her like her whole entire kind of like thesis about walking in the room is like Clint, you are an idiot. Like that's <laughs> yeah. that, that is like that is what you, the sense you get all the time with her. She's and so I love frustrated that. with them. Yeah, always <laughs> just immediately frustrated. Like why can't you do anything right? Type of feeling, you know, which I think is just I think is great. I think is really really great. <laughs> uh, anybody else have any final words they want to say about the book? It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Well, well, well worth yeah. the wait. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go back and read them all. I really want to. This is this is the kind of series I most want in like a deluxe. Oh yeah, you know, hardcover, like beautifully bound book that I can just put on my shelf and pick up and read through. You know, every, every yeah. once in a while because it just it's screaming for it to me. They have it. Do they? Yeah, there's a. Uh, I'm looking at it right now on my shelf. No, I mean like it, a complete, uh, all of it. Oh, you want it in like omnibus? Yeah, omnibus. Oh, yeah. Sorry, oh yes. well. <laughs> yes. Well, I think like the first 10 or 11 issues are right. collected. Yeah, and no, it's I, omnibus like height and ratio and everything. So it looks good next to them. I, I uh, want I want it all, Mara. Okay. All right. Uh, I got you. Now. I want it all. Um, <laughs> so we had, we had a lot of listener uh, feedback on this one with using hashtag TCBOTW. Uh, Kelly Heron says, what a beautiful, wonderful final issue of Hawkeye. I will forever love this Futsun series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Drew Sprayberry says it was quirky, it was thrilling, it was stunning. It had six WTF moments, and it made me smile. Uh, why was the wait so long? After such a long wait, the anticipation for Hawkeye number twenty-two couldn't have been higher. I loved it. This was the ending that I wanted. Um, uh, let's see here. We've got uh, John Rajala says Hawk- Hawkeye may have lost momentum, interest for some because of delays, but it was a fucking great end to a great run. Loved it. Um, let's see. We've got. Uh, at the way of the Dre says Hawkeye 22 was a masterful finale to a series that deserves a place in comic book hall of fame. It gave me all the life and more. Um, Brad Pinder says this book is so damn different. If I didn't know who Clint Barton is, I'd say this was an image book. Great end to a fun series. Um, David Finn says I came in late once it was popular. I got blown away. I adored Kate in LA 22 was sad and cool and goodbye fitting end. Um, uh, Matt McNabb says, some say this book lost all its momentum due to delays, but I disagree. Hawkeye has been wonderful from issue 1 to 22. Uh, Matthew Cooper says, Hawkeye number 22. I would really miss this if it had been regularly issued. However, great end to a brilliant run. Um, Joey Braccino, who we'll be speaking to in person <laughs> soon, says, just an awesome... Uh, says, uh, just an awesome series. Fraction and Aja are killer, obviously, but Matt Hollingsworth did amazing colors on this book. Chris Eliopoulos is the king of letterers. Dream Team, top to bottom. Check out Immortal Iron Fist for similar coolness. Um, Jason Dunn says, one of the best single issues I've read yet. Bro, futzing seriously. Better than Pizza Dog, bro. Um, uh, uh, this is at Kid Omega says, I've only read volume one of Hawkeye, so I had no clue where the story was going, but the action scenes were to die for, brutal and beautiful. Um, you could say that Hawkeye number two was brutiful. <laughs> I really hate that you made me say that. Um, <laughs> Jay Query says, exceptional comics feel like no time has elapsed, even after a long delay. Hawkeye 22 is great comics, pacing, characters, art, bro. Um, Connor Blake says, who's, is, I have to say it's Twitter name because it's the best. At Ice Cream Genius says, <laughs> loved it, especially the last two pages. Really well paced, really well paced. But I should have reread the whole thing again first. I had forgotten about the Barney stuff. Also, no suspense around Pizza Dog because we know he lives from the from the new series. Um, haven't read. Sammy Cassell says, haven't read. But based on y'all's recommendation, I will uh, I will when it's collected. Um, if Steph likes a Marvel book, I'm in. <laughs> um, Randy Ochoa says, Hawkeye number twenty two was pure cinema. Um, and this was at Pat Fonz. He just had. 
He said all emojis. <laughs> so it's heart with arrow through it, target with arrow through it, thumbs up, pizza, dog, guitar, crying, another bullseye, and finish line flag. Nice. <laughs> um, accurate. Accurate it description of the book. Sums up my feelings exactly. Uh, <laughs> See, they're making an emojis movie. <laughs> no, I said he just said, oh, they are? No, they are. Oh, okay. Sony just bought the rights to the emojis. They're going to. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, sorry, go on. Sure, that'll be wonderful. Uh, and uh, Ch- Ch- Carol Channing Tatum <laughs> says, uh, this delay was nothing. I collected planetary in single issues. High quality books are always worth the wait. <laughs> so there we go. So I think technically it would have been Stephanie's turn to pick a book this week. Yes. <laughs> But since she's not here, I believe it's Bob's turn to pick a book, and he had no preparation. I had no preparation. So um, let's talk about what's coming out, and then we'll see what <laughs> we're we just can... not going to pick one. Okay. No, no, we're going to look right now. Oh, I'm picking up. I'm bringing, I'm bringing up ComicList.com. Look at you right now. Um, Johnny prepared. Looking for here. some uh, number ones or 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 or, or miniseries or, or something that, that that have started here. This is going to be great radio because I'm going to have to look through books right now. Um, we've got a book called. Power Up from Boom. Um, yeah. <laughs> what's, oh, what's that about? Yeah, Mara, Mara, what's that about? It's Kate Leth. Magical Girls. Oh. Kate Leth. Okay. Oh. All right. Power so that, Up. All Ages. So that's on the list then. Yeah, that's definitely on my list. Okay. Looks cool. Okay. Um, I don't... Let's see. Do we have any... Oh, Cyborg number one comes out from DC. Okay. Um, that's the writer of uh, Shaft. Is yeah, doing David that. F. Walker. David F. Walker, right. Uh, let's see. I think that looks like the only number one coming out from DC. I could be wrong. Um, it's interesting. I love Shaft. I know. I know. It's I not know. a big list this week because I already did the sent out the review stuff. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see here. Um, I can't look through Dynamite stuff. There's too many covers. I can't mm-hmm. tell what what is what's a book and what's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's just too many covers. I'll on, look some stuff up too. On so everything. Can, uh... Uh, let's see what else we've got here. Bob, what are you picking up this week? By the way. I'm sure there's like two uh, things. It's next to nothing. Yeah. Spider-Woman number nine. Okay. Sensation number 12. And since I already pre-ordered, Harley Quinn Power Girl number two. Okay. <laughs> uh, there is a trade paperback of the Justice Society, uh, mm. but I'm not asking anyone to buy trade mm-hmm. paperbacks or read um, four-issue miniseries <laughs> as a shared book of the week. There's but a- everyone should read that. Justice Society, America, America versus the Justice Society. Okay. When is that from? Uh, that is just around the time of the crisis. Okay. Uh, it plays off the, the, there's an issue, All-Star Comics, when it came back in the 70s, got canceled in the DC implosion, mm-hmm. and they used five issues of Adventure Comics, which was now a, a bigger book, to finish off that story. And one of those okay. stories is about the Justice Society stops being the Justice Society because of McCarthyism. Hmm. Okay. But this ties Batman into all that. Okay, interesting. Mm. So it's a really great little, it's Roy, Ta- Roy and Dan Thomas, Rich, uh, it's Buckler, Ordway, all sorts mm. of people on art. So it's out there for like 15 bucks. So we probably get it for 10. Nice. Uh, um, you've got Aleshkot's Wolf number one. Yeah, that's from- the only other thing I see that's really like probably a possibility. What yeah. is Wolf number one about? Uh, I actually I don't know. It's I about have, wolves. I have the thing here. No, it's uh, it looks to be something uh, military secret ops, like in the vein of uh, his book Zero. Okay. The crime noir thrills and the character is a true detective meet with mythical stakes worthy of Neil Gaiman's Sandman in this original fantasy horror crime saga for mature readers. Um, Anton- Antoine Wolf, a hard-boiled paranormal detective with a death wish, has to cope with sudden responsibility for an orphan teenager who might be the key to the impending apocalypse. California style. The road to hell and back begins in a max-sized first issue with 58 pages of story and no ads. Uh, there's also Star-Lord and Kitty Pride number one. Oh, that's one of the Secret Wars books, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And that's it, man. That's all that's, you, that's yeah, you got. Yeah, it is a light week. Mm. Hmm. What do you think, Bob? Um, only because I think someone will end up taking Cyborg one way or the other. Okay. I'll go power up. All right. All right, cool. Yay, I'm looking at it right now. Because <laughs> I put the review copies up on Boom. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Awesome, awesome. So power up number one uh, for next week. Uh, so use hashtag PC- TCBOTW uh, to give your thoughts on the book. Um, and this is where Mara is going to leave us. Aww. Uh, Mara, thank you for joining us for this first half of the show. Thanks for having me and letting me talk about some comic books. Of course, of course. Um, Mara, why don't you share your Twitter handle with everybody so they can follow you? At Megamarmon. Perfect. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yes, look out for obviously on the Misfits uh, every, every week, and you know a new anime manga podcast coming in September. Yeah. All right. Ooh. Awesome. Mar, thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll be right back after this with Joey Pacino and a little review of a movie called Ant Man. We are back, and we have uh, we've swapped out one talking comics all star for another, Mr. Joey Bacino. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey guys, how's it going? It's going great. Uh, you are on vacation, and you're still doing the talking comics podcast. <laughs> are you really? Yeah, man. Yeah. I believe. I believe in <laughs> comics. <laughs> um, you're in Washington D.C., right? Yeah, uh, my fiance works in media, and they called her up and was like, "Hey, can you do the show out of?" dc for a couple of days and i'm a teacher during you know it's summer break so i was like oh i'll come with you so uh came down she's at work so i'm waiting for her to get home and uh figured i could record with you guys the rest of the town's shut down yeah. <laughs> you know they're not doing any legislating out there right now and that's all there is in washington it's just <laughs> legislation or nothing legislating and pop belly sandwich shops i think is all there is out mm. here um do you think your fiance was secretly like oh joey this is my chance to like have a couple days or I didn't have to deal with you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't care what you want. <laughs> I don't want to see Washington, D.C. <laughs> Joey Petrino goes goes to Washington. Yep. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, I, the last time I was there, I was I was a senior in high school, and I went for Princeton Model Congress, oh, which ooh, makes wow. me very cool. <laughs> <laughs> super cool. Yeah. Uh, that was fun, though. We had a, we had a, we had a, it, was a, it was a great trip because... It was very few of us. Like, it was only a, a couple of people from my school, and mm-hmm. we had like a full day where we just got to do whatever we wanted, and there was like no supervision. Like we were, you know, we were we were eighteen or whatever. So like no, they didn't. They just like we just go do what you want to do. So we just walked around with the Smithsonian. I've been to Washington D.C. I think twice for school, but the last time that I was there, I actually went to go and see uh, Radiohead. Mm. In oh, Washington D.C. Cool. And uh, this really really sweet venue. But what was even cooler. Is there like inside the city? Their subway system mm-hmm. looks like something out of the future. Silos, <laughs> like seriously, like it's it's like a it's a it's a tube, as much as one can be a tube. Like it's like a bullet train. It's super super fast, mm-hmm. but the tunnels themselves 
are, you know, like the lights stretch back into the darkness. So they kind of like meet at a point in the middle. And when the train's coming up, the lights start to like flicker in this oh, like really weird way where almost like a darkness travels along the light to let you know that they're coming. Oh. And it's just really, really bizarre. Like nothing, you don't see anything like that in New York. New York mm. is just, it's so disgusting <laughs> down there. But uh, it was really super clean. But uh, Radiohead killed it that day. They were amazing. And Caribou opened and they were even better than Radiohead. So there you go. If you're playing the Talking Comics drinking game, your your piece for Steve mentioning mentioning a concert has been filled. And this past weekend, <laughs> this past weekend, after I went into the city, I went to go and see Failure again with oh, all yes. my friends. Yeah, there was maybe maybe a hundred and fifty people there, maybe. So we essentially got what is the what could be considered like a private mm-hmm. show by Failure because one hundred and fifty people in a giant venue yeah. is nothing. I yeah. don't know what, what happened. It? But nobody was there. Mm-hmm. We were there. Yeah. <laughs> and we were right down in the front. And it was right in Westbury. Got to see the space at Westbury. Really, really great venue. Crazy, crazy sound. Um, but just failure is just one of those things where, like, nobody mm. nobody really showed up. So we, we ended up getting, you know, about a two-hour-long show for just us. And uh, I felt really old. By the end of that show, I was hurting bad. Wow. My left knee was bothering me. I had to go up to the bar and grab a napkin and rip little pieces off of it for like makeshift earplugs. <laughs> it's happening, man. It's finally happened. My bloody Valentine ruined me. But uh, it was amazing. And uh, I'm going to see them again in August with the last band on my bucket list, which is Hum. Uh, they're playing both the same night. It's a double headlining show. So that's the day my head will explode. People are drunk now. Yeah, from all the- <laughs> and I got more. Hey, I got you know how many tweets I got from people uh, thanking me for alerting them to Alabama Shakes last week. Like at least like seven or eight people have come back to me saying that they absolutely love that band. So uh, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, all right, so Joey is joining us because we're going to be reviewing Ant Man, the latest from Marvel Studios, uh, directed by Peyton Reed, written by. Edgar Wright, Joe Cornish, Adam McKay, and Paul Rudd all have credit on That's writing it? it. That's it. That's, That's it. Man. Uh, story credited to Edgar Wright and and Joe Cornish. Um, so obviously we we know all the, the whole story about about the film and and what happened and it's it's gone through a lot and now it's finally here. Uh, you know, it has a, it has a lot going against it. Edgar Wright leaving. It being about Ant Man, <laughs> all, yeah. all things <laughs> that would go against it. Um, you know, I think everybody's kind of waiting uh, for Marvel to to stumble and, and fall. And when is it going to be the first one that really is, you know, bad or or severely disappointing, um, kind of universally? Um, Joey, yeah, is this the time where Marvel fell? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think that's an interesting kind of um, point, and I think that reading, especially like reading the advanced reviews and, and looking at the kind of feedback that came out of those first screenings, people talking about like, oh, Marvel didn't meet their own expectations, this is the one where they fall, and I'm like, why do we go into movies thinking like this? You know, <laughs> there's something about that that just like ruins it, mm-hmm. um, and, but, I mean, I will say that going into it, I actually did go see the midnight showing, but not necessarily because of the other reasons that I saw, like Captain America Winter Soldier midnight showing. It would kind of just fit into my schedule. 
Um, I, there, I will say that there wasn't as much urgency this time around, but seeing it and after seeing it once on Thursday, really enjoyed it. And I went back again on Friday, uh, just because I, I thought it, it was, it was really, um, I think it's a really successful movie and a different kind of movie from Marvel. Uh, if anything, I don't see it as a failure. I think it, I see it as almost kind of a, um, another tool in the toolbox kind of thing. They can do something different. Uh, and it did feel different in a lot of ways. Awesome, yeah. And I will say to you, people, this is the first time listening to a movie review of ours. The, the, the beginning of the show, we're going to do overall impressions, you know, talk about performances, talk about what we thought, you know, of the movie. Uh, you know, we're not going to talk about what traditionally be called spoilers at all, but I'll always say this. If you want to be completely, you know, free of any sort of knowing of anything about the movie, don't listen to the review. We'll see the movie, then watch the review, listen to the review. We will give you a clear spoiler uh, warning, and then we will talk about like hard spoilers as far as like you know our favorite moments, you know, like in in de- detail, you know, some of the post credit stuff that, that that's out there, some of the way the movie and and some of the big plot points. So, but there'll be a clear delineation between when those two things happens, just so just so you know. Um, all right, so Joey saw it twice in twenty four hours. Obviously, it, it really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob, what about you? Well, one to play off something that Joey just said about new tools in the toolbox. Marvel so far, for the most part, each movie has found its own little niche, its own genre. We've had science fiction action with Iron Man, World War II with Cat, mythology with Thor, sort of horror with the Hulk. This is a sci-fi caper comedy Mm. that manages to be funny and not seem forced, that that comes out of the plot. There's consequence, there's action that's Solid, good science fiction superhero movie action, as well as having the Edgar Wright goofy edge that it's sort of commenting on itself while it's happening. And it's just a winning combination with some really great performances across the board. I want to get, won't go too far into that mm. until a little bit later, but I very much love this and put this in the, near the top of the Marvel movies for me. Steve, what about you? I really enjoyed it. I saw it uh, with you guys, obviously, uh, Thursday night, and then I went again with my friend Lauren on Sunday night. And it was it was interesting. It was interesting to see it again. Uh, I'll tell you this. The energy inside of the theater was better the night that we had all gone mm. to go and see it on Thursday. There was something... I mean, I had fun with Lauren, of course. We always do. But uh, just... The the parts that really hit for me the first time around didn't have as much of a pop. Like I was kind of sitting there like knowing that it was coming up and waiting for the reactions mm-hmm. from the crowd to be like, all right, you guys, here it comes. <laughs> uh-huh. And it it didn't hit for everybody like it did for our crowd. Um, so I'm very thankful that I saw it on Thursday night with you guys because like for me, that was the night to to really, really enjoy it. Um, but it hold it holds up a second time really well. Um, I didn't really I didn't catch anything new. Like it was just kind of watching the movie again. Yeah. Um, still really really enjoyed it. There's something like okay. So the movie came out. People their initial reactions, and now all of a sudden because this always happens, we're getting into some of the the backlash of the film and and stuff. And maybe we could talk about this a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But um some articles have been popping up here and there about like character representation. And I had uh, one discussion on Twitter with somebody who, um, after a couple of tweets, like I just, I just had to drop it because I wasn't seeing, like I had my stance on it and they had theirs. And by all means, Mm -hmm. 110%, you are completely and totally 
able to think uh, what you want to think. Obviously, I just didn't see it, and I didn't think I was going to be able to convince this person otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so going into it a second time and watching it on Sunday night, I'm like, I'm looking for the argument. And there, you know, this this character's face is obscured. This is that, and there's no, no, there's no agency, and it's there. They were fridged, and I just, I still, after watching it again, I, I just, I don't see it. I don't get it. Um, but overall, uh, it's definitely one of my favorite Marvel movies. Uh, I think you said it best when we did the Patreon only uh, reactions cast when. Uh, you said that it's a it's a small movie, no pun intended, <laughs> but that it it totally works for it. I mean, there are a lot of obvious things about it for me in like production wise, uh, budget wise. They obviously didn't have the money that they would for something like a Captain America or an Avengers, but the movie manages to do a lot with what they had. Effects wise, I'm wondering if parts of the movie play better in 3D. Because uh, there were some effects that I thought were, I mean, I thought like the insect stuff looked really good, but there are certain action sequences or just certain camera filters where, um, like, I mean, I do this every time we talk about these comic book movies where there's like one or two moments that look wrong to me. Um and there was there was a moment or like, like Age of Ultron. I said there were like one or two moments. There's definitely one or two moments where like the the camera work almost like blurs to a point. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was on purpose or or not. But like I said, for what they were working with, I think it's a highly entertaining film. It's very funny. And still the standout for me is is uh Luis Michael Pena's character. He is a riot and i'll get into more specifics uh with him as we go along what'd you think of it i loved it you know i think that um i got off the phone actually I, I was talking to brad uh after he saw it yesterday and he was like you know i he was like i thought it was really good but it just didn't it I, you know it didn't blow me away and speaking of what you were saying before joey it's sort of in that same lines of like why do you go in wanting something you know to, to fail Th mm -hmm. This sort of like expectation that every time you go see one of the movies, it's got to be something that like yeah. changes the way you think about action movies or, or, or these movies. And, you know, if you I, I think if that's the opinion you have or that's the mind you have, that, that's totally fine. But I think that it's always going to be a little disappointing if, if you go with that mind frame. I think that for me, Ant-Man is a highly entertaining, highly charming, highly funny film that I left feeling great you know i was like this that was a great experience yeah. and i will watch that over and over and over again the three lead performances um are absolutely winning you know th th they 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 probably elevate the movie ab above where it would be if there was lesser actors in that but you can probably say that about any movie mm -hmm. uh I, I i think that the dynamics were great between them i love the play up on sort of parent child relationships that they deal with there which is not something that yeah. uh they've dealt with in any sort of uh you know, ground level way before they, it's very much a part of Thor, but that's very Shakespearean and very large. And this is a, a much more kind of personal way of, of dealing with that stuff here in Ant-Man. And, you know, I think that the, they, they've said, right, that they, they went small to go big, right? That's kind of like the, the, the pitch on the movie. And I feel like that really does work here. We get action sequences in places with things and items and 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 sets that you never would get if it was mm -hmm. one of the other sort of Marvel films. The the fact that he's able to shrink and and you know 
being on a, on a train track with a Thomas the Tank Engine train, which you've seen in the trailer. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't get that anywhere else, you know? And, yeah. and I, I feel like they play the humor of the situations very well, but they never play Ant-Man himself as a joke. There's nothing jokey about what he can do. It's just that there are funny situations that arise because he's a little dude all these ants, you know, and these ants are huge. Mm-hmm. So there's inherent humor in, in that. And, and but it's never a parody. Mm-hmm. I know some no. people before oh, no. were concerned that this mm-hmm. was going to turn into, oh, look, it's all a joke. Well, did you no, notice, really um, I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but when we had the trailers, when the tra- trailer first came out, there was a bit in there where it was the conversation where instead of um, instead of Ant-Man saying like, whoa, that was a really good speech when yeah. Michael Douglas, uh, when Hank's talking mm-hmm. to him, um, he says, I need you to be the Ant-Man. And Ant-Man comes back with that, can we change the name? Yeah, yeah. And that, to me, kind of like shot itself in the foot as far as like confidence and it's in the film's own character that's not in the final cut. No, it's not. The interesting thing about those first couple of trailers was like they really were not good. (laughs) And it's really been the last like 40 TV spots that they released <laughs> yeah. that, that really like got me excited for the film. I don't mm. know what changed in the marketing or whatever. Maybe it was kind of realizing that we really can't undercut the character as much as kind of play up the difference of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, especially coming off of, of Ultron, too. And, and like this is like what, number 11 or number 12? Number 12, and, I think, yeah. 12, mm-hmm. you know, like I think one of the reasons why there's this kind of almost refreshing nature to this movie is that coming off of Ultron, coming off of kind of the end days of pretty much every single movie that has preceded it. Um, it's, it's a very, it's a much smaller movie. I think it works for that. I don't think it needed to do anything more than what it does mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the movie. And that's why I think a lot of reviewers, a lot of people are kind of saying it harkens back to that first Iron Man movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's as successful in all of its regards as that first Iron Man movie, which I think is just like in many ways, just like, it hits all the right marks, uh, but Ant Man, in terms of feel and and tone and 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 um, that kind of satisfaction coming out of the theater, I think hits that that first movie um, interestingly. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think it sits very comfortably and very favorably with all three of those initial kind of origin movies of of the Avengers characters. Mm-hmm. You know, Thor, uh, Iron Man, and Cap. I think it fits very nicely into into that milieu, and I think that. Uh, you know, it, it plays very well, and I think a lot of that, and, and, you know, I think we've all kind of mentioned it to some extent, the performances, I think, are a big part of that, right? right. I mean, I I love Paul Rudd. I've, you know, I've known, I've been a huge fan of his for a long time, and what's great about his performance is that he gives kind of exactly the performance that I was hoping he would give, which is that he is very funny when he needs to be funny. He's great at even taking jokes that maybe aren't great and turning them into good jokes just because he's masterful at the way he delivers things. But he's also an incredibly likable person, an incredibly charming person, and you need that with Scott because Scott is a criminal who can't pay mm-hmm. child support, who, if played by the wrong person, will seem like a kind of an ass, you know. And <laughs> Paul Rudd is an you, you get a sense that Scott's kind of an ass, but he's a very likable one, you know. Mm-hmm. You can tell that he wants to do the right thing. He's just really bad at knowing what that thing is, you know. And and he's he, he's you know he gets con- like they see, like uh, Judy Greer says in the movie he yeah. gets confused he's, sometimes, yeah. you know. Uh, and I think that's great about him. I mean, um, Bob, I want you to speak to Michael Douglas because you yeah. talked about this in the Patreon stuff, um, how, how much you were impressed by his performance. Well, absolutely, to, to the maximum. Because I've always said, and I will continue to say that I, 
Chris Evans as Captain America might be the finest portrayal of a superhero and the reason they do what they do. Mm. And that someone passed, in terms of movies, Christopher Reeve's Superman is, that I'll say that. Mm. But I think what Michael Douglas did here is the finest performance by a lead actor in one of these movies. Mm. A lot of people are, are, they're playing the character. This was a fully realized movie star turn mm-hmm. with so many levels. He he still manages as an older guy to do action and have gravitas as he stands and delivers these speeches and the premise of the movie all flows around him. I will save some mm. for spoilers. Funny, direct, emotional, stupendous work. I mean, really more than I would have thought. I, mean, I like Michael Douglas a lot, but... I, I didn't get that from the trailers that there would be a performance of this weight in this movie mm. from him, and it's it's there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, Joey, what, do you have any performances? You, I mean, once we've talked about, it, you can speak about it as well. I mean, what what were the performances that stood out to you? Uh, I'm a big fan of Corey Stoll. I think that uh, if you see Midnight in Paris, his Hemingway mm-hmm. is yeah. just oh my god, his Hemingway. Right. To me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh wow. <laughs> I show it to my kids, uh, my juniors. I teach the, the Great Gatsby, and I, I teach Midnight in Paris alongside, and they always latch on to to that Hemingway character. And I say, "That's the guy from House of Cards," and they're like, "What?" He's <laughs> just like, you know, it's, it's it's so different. And and I think he really chews the scenery here. And I, you know, I know there's been some criticism about, you know, oh, he seems a little too outlandish for this film, or you know, another white guy in a suit. And yeah, yeah, sure, it's the way it's written, and and I can I, I'll buy that. But it doesn't mean that I didn't have a good time with him mm-hmm. and his performance, you know. Um, and I think that um, I, I her name is Abby Ryder Forston. Is that her? Is that the little girl's name? Yeah, Cassie. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, wow. That's good. Nice to know. <laughs> um, she was she was wonderful. She's just absolutely wonderful, and a lot of the the humor and the lightness from this movie comes from from her delivery of some of those lines. And kudos to Paul Rudd and Bobby Cannavale, and I'm assuming Peyton Reed and 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 Judy Greer for for working with her and uh, and and just getting the timing on all of those those little quips from little Cassie uh, yeah. in the film. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Um... Corey Stoll again great performance I think that like you said about the kind of it's an enjoyable character and I think he works as part of the movie I think that I will agree with criticism of that character only being that he's written not great you know it's an underdeveloped character it's just I'm here to be the villain you know from really point one to to the end he has some interesting shades throughout that and i think Corey still brings some interesting stuff to the role especially in that he has one conversation with hank where i think he kind of shows his underbelly a little bit yeah but i think that the character itself is written in a very kind of like standard way for a marvel villain um it's funny i was gonna bring this up before but i knew we'd eventually get to him uh i've seen a couple of people online uh comparing him to the obadiah character yeah there's very there's a lot of similarities Yeah. yeah but um for those that have yet to see the film or are going to watch it again, uh, having seen it twice, I would say if you're looking to really enjoy his character, pay attention to all of the kind of like abandoned child, father, son stuff between right. him. And like, that's where for me, villain wise, where he really sells that character. Some of the other stuff is very surface, but those moments where he really, you can tell that he's been burned by this kind of unrequited or failed love from his mentor, 
uh, he really sells those moments where he's just disgusted with the whole thing. Like I didn't even realize that there's a there's a moment where Hank gets invited to the building and he moves out of the way and like they've renamed and repurposed the building. Mm-hmm. And this is obviously something that he's working toward and they've built like a prototype for what it's going to look like. And I didn't even realize that's what was happening in that right. scene the first time around. The second time around, I was like, oh, oh man, like you totally <laughs> did that on purpose, yeah. you yeah. bastard. Yeah. And they've talked about this film being about family and relationships and, and, you know, who do you, how do you take care of the ones that you love and, and to put that Darren Cross character, and obviously we'll get into specifics later, but mm-hmm. in, in the middle of these two father-daughter relationships is very interesting. Um, again, is it surface in some points and is it ignored? Yes. And, and could it be, you know, more well-rounded? Absolutely. Something I find interesting, though, and, and I read a piece the other day about, like, why Marvel needs better villains, and I was like, that's so interesting that, like, people view these movies and are like, well, a lot of times they're only as good as their villains. And I, and I really, looking at the Marvel films, I'm like, is that... That's almost, like, not what they do. It's always been more about defining these heroes. I don't know. It's just interesting coming off of the Batman films, which are so villain-driven, and then going into these kind of a tangent. Sorry. No, no, I, no and I, I think that's a I think that's a thing that Marvel does on purpose, right? right. I, I, I think that those Batman films have were always very were always very villain driven from the Burton ones on, even the Nolan ones. You know, Batman Begins is less so, but the once they get past Batman Begins, it very much becomes about the bad guys in the movie, and they lose interest in telling the Bruce Wayne story. And I think that that is what the opposite is having the Marvel movies. I'm obviously want to tell these hero stories. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I mean, I totally understand that. Like, it'd be great to have both. And I'm and I'm not saying like that isn't something they can improve on because I think it is. But I would rather have them focus on the heroes than focus on the villains. Mm-hmm. I mean. You know, there's been a few that I think have been great, right? And, and I think that is, I mean, the one Santa's always going to be Loki. He's he's right. he's the he's the best one in any of them. Abomination. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say Hugo Weaving is the Red Skull. He does a very good job as, as the Red Skull. Um, and I think that you know there are elements in like I think Nebula is very good in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. Um, you know mm. I, I think that there are moments w- with Ronan, but he's not fleshed out. He's, he's like, I'm going to destroy everything. Like, that's like... That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's great. That's great. Great, great motivation. Yeah, well, he has great moments yeah. in it, but, you know, you need never to be the, the voice of that character and have shades, and she's great in it, you know? Uh, but, and I think that, you know, Winter Soldier is also an outlier there because I think Robert Redford is great in in that movie yeah. and then also obviously bucking himself is fantastic um so we've well, got three iron man movies with kind of nothing yes it's all it's about, <laughs> no it's about tony and pepper Sam and yeah. whatever else is going now he's good but he's I not really Sam the villain Hall of that movie <laughs> but yeah <laughs> he's like the anti tony stark um I mean, and so I think that that's a fair criticism of the movies and i think the thing about it too is once you get 12 movies in like even things that are good Certain certain people and certain people are going to start to see holes in 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 the in the in the armor, you know, of of what's going on and in repeats. And people will start getting. Some people will get tired of it. Some people won't. And so, like, I don't have any sort of that fatigue, like watching sort of the, you know, the the Marvel origin story and and what it brings to the table. But I completely understand why people do start to feel that way. And so when people sort of feel that way, a lot of times they process it and they're hypercritical of stuff that happens. I mean, there are things to be critical about Ant-Man, don't get me wrong. Yes. Things to be critical about Marvel in general with their movie-making practices, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think that that stuff gets heightened as you move farther and farther down mm-hmm. a line of movies. People are going to start to pick 
deeper things that would like no no one is no longer just happy to have a good superhero movie or a great superhero movie there it has to be almost perfect at this point or it's going to get torn apart and that's just kind of kind of the way it goes because they've been so good for so long plus i mean there's there's already certain things working against the character Mm. in general just the name Mm. alone like i i my mom usually i bring her to go and see the marvel films whenever they come out and uh i had told her like i'd just come back from from seeing ant-man and her reaction was like ant-man <laughs> and i was like yeah and she's like that sound kind of stupid and for my first thought i was like what the hell do you know <laughs> you know like, spider-man is more sensible you watch Ant-Man? dumb crap all the time every time i walk yeah. in here you watch some stupid cop show <laughs> um and we didn't speak of course too we talked about we didn't talk about evangeline lily oh. uh yet uh, as hope van dyne and i think she does a great job and, and i think that if you know evangeline lily's work in the past She's not necessarily bringing like new levels to what she does here, but she's doing what she does very, very well in in this movie. And I think that the way they play her character uh, is, is very interesting. And this is one of those things, right? I, th- I think it's Mark Ruffalo who talked about um, uh, Scarlett Johansson in 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 the other movies. He goes, he's like, the problem is why you can't do as much stuff and you can't go different places is that there's so few female characters in these movies that Scarlett Johansson has to represent every woman everywhere when when she's watching it that's a horrible half a way to have to be you know the movie should have more representation in them and and Vigilante Lily is like really the only female adult female character in the entire right. movie um and, and so that is an issue that that that's a yeah, very we'll weird talk about thing that, I think, we'll yeah 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 um Judy Greer's part is terribly underwritten yeah yeah and it's yeah. very very small you know this is very much and too speaking of smaller it is enough to say that like there's really like four major players in the movie yeah um and the biggest side characters are obviously scott's kind of like team that the wombats, like, the wombats. The wombats. <laughs> um which are great and, and yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that stuff in, in a second but evangeline <laughs> is great in, in the movie and i think that she does um a lot of awesome stuff in the film she has great moments dramatic you know f- humorous you know uh some action stuff as well that i think all works really well she's an incredibly physical actress to begin with and she brings that a lot to the character but she also has an intense sense of um intellect and and integrity but also you know um, vulnerability as well when it needs to be there in some of those scenes so i I really liked frustration yes especially um and i do like the the point of view of the movie is very much like when 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 hank is saying the things he's saying and that that are very much like you know you can't do this you, you, you I don't you, you you don't the movie never takes the point of view that Hank is right you know you always feel like Hank is wrong what what he's saying but you come to understand why Hank is doing what he's doing from a parent perspective right. I think she keeps proving him wrong yes all every the way time. through yeah. I didn't know her work at all I don't mm-hmm. think I've seen a frame of footage mm-hmm. on her just a revelation mm. as you say tons of intelligence sass yeah. But there's a caring heart to all this. Mm-hmm. This isn't just a brittle, oh no, torn, yeah. angry woman. Mm-hmm. There are layers to that, mm-hmm. and reasonably good ones because of some of the things that have happened to her to get her to the point she's at here. But it's all handled delicately. It's not with a with a sledgehammer. It's with a scalpel. Mm-hmm. I thought. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Joey, what did you think? I thought she was absolutely wonderful. Um, I think that the frustrations that she shows and, and the, and the um, expertise that she shows and, and her scenes with, with Paul Rudd uh, and Michael Douglas are just, just spectacular. Um, and again, you know, talking about the representation thing, yeah, sure, that's always going to come up. Um, and 
in some instances in this film, it does kind of, there was like one or moment or two where I was like, oh, come on, you know? <laughs> um, but I think for the most part, she was just remarkable. And the, the future, I think, for her is bright and exciting, too going forward yeah absolutely and we'll talk definitely talk about that a, yeah. a, 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 a little bit later um yeah but overall I, I just i just really enjoyed it you know i thought that it worked out really really well and i love the action sequences and everything that, that was going on does anybody have any other like, kind of thoughts they want to get non-spoiler yeah. thoughts yeah just, uh, in terms of taking kids to see this mm-hmm. because i, I, I know yeah. some little ones who were thinking oh it, it looks very cool it's going to depend of course on how they feel about bugs <laughs> because there are quite a lot of bugs and there's some <laughs> people little ones that are very squeamish but I think it's pretty kid-friendly. There's a little bit of gun violence, but kept mostly impersonal. It's not Winter Soldier where it's shooting from close range and that sort of stuff. Some hand-to-hand combat, but nothing really brutal. Mm-hmm. This is not teeth being knocked out and right. all the rest of that. It. It's very superhero-y violence, that kind of thing, not to extreme level. The humor mostly stays out of the gutter, but there's a whole bunch of uses of the shice word. Can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, my second viewing of the film, I had Lauren to the right of me and two younger children and a father to the left of me. They talked throughout the whole movie <laughs> because the kids had no idea what was going on. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Um, I think that once you get into the second act and mm-hmm. it's like science and stuff, yeah. Um, the kids, I sat same time, same, uh, the kids are sitting in front of me and their dad was like leaning over and he was like, isn't this great? And the kids were kind of dozing. But once they get in that third act, the kids are going to have a great time. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. The, 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 the third act, there's a, there's a part within, within the third act that, uh, like the big sciencey thing that happens, they, uh, they had no clue. Oh, they, well, yeah, they had yeah, no idea. And he, he got to the point, I mean, he was really cool about it for the the vast majority of the movie, but after a while, he was like, I'll just explain to you later. Uh, and I was like, I, I, I swear so many times I wanted to lean over and be like, could you please? They're kids. Uh, Come on. on. No, no. Oh, you were no. that kid once. Yeah. I knew everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Will you shut up, kid? I'm trying to watch Ant-Man. Yeah, come on. I want, I want to pay attention to the movie I've already seen. Would you shut up? God. Um, Be smarter, kid. It's comic books. Yeah. Do research before you come <laughs> no, into the No, but I mean, I, I, the only reason I bring it up, I'm not oh, trying sorry. to rag on kids. I love kids when they're not mine. Uh, but I, as far as like the comprehension, I think that because... It is a it's a smaller movie, and there's a lot there's a long stretches of time where we're not doing a whole lot of superhero stuff, especially the setup leading into him actually getting the suit. That a, some of that stuff might be lost, or kids' minds might start to meander a little bit until he actually starts mm-hmm. to shrink down and do his thing. Um, they were very fidgety unless there was action going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's me for every on yeah. all of those movies. Yeah. That also then depends how movie centric your kid is my friend ed brought his little girl who's six Mm. who you know just watched jaws with us for (laughs) the fourth of july and she happens in that movie for like an hour (laughs) yeah and she she loves that movie and and she loved ant-man yeah it's gonna depend on the kid obviously yeah uh i mean just think about it like you think about all the other marvel movies it's gonna be the same kind of deal it's it's definitely a movie that i think kids can watch but i think that it you know it's obviously more square to like 11, 12, you know, yes. 13 year olds first and then and then up a- after that. It's funny though, that line where uh, I want you to break into a place and steal some shit. Mm-hmm. Like the dad totally just went like, mm hmm. 
was <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you know, it is what, PG-13. PG-13. They're all PG-13. Yeah. Yep. And there are lines you can get, a, you know, come up to with that. There are actually numbers. Uh-huh. So I think they came close with the S word. Was there an F bomb? There's no. definitely no. A, there's no. a P word. No, there was no F bomb. There's a P word. P word. P word. Oh, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, but it's yeah. like a pun. It was a pun. <laughs> uh, that was actually what. That was probably the flattest joke in the entire movie for me. But um, yeah, no, the, you're right. There was one of those. Yeah. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> Pussy. He's like, he's okay. <laughs> The P word. As yeah. in feline. Yeah. <laughs> the P word. Uh, the they P say word. worst things on network television. <laughs> yes. The Walking Dead. Yeah. Oh, please. Yeah. The Walking Dead has action figures in Toys R Us. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, I, I, I kind of thought it was great. And I'm looking forward to. See, I hope that we get to see more. That we get to see another yeah. one of these movies. Edman's going to be in like. He's in a bunch of stuff going forward, like little cameos yeah. and things like that. No, I know. Like He's going to be a major part of Civil War, I think, but I just mean like in general, like another one of do these an movies. Ant-Man 2? That's what I want to do Ant-Man 2. I don't know. Depends how this one does. I think as far as final gross and uh, you know, f- overall kind of reception to it, I think, in the end. Yeah. Whatever that is. I heard maybe prequel. That's what I was hearing as well. But I, I, think, I think you might get something that's like maybe Both. half prequel, half sequel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I would assume, which would be great. I mean, uh, we do- sequel. <laughs> we we do get a little bits of you know the past at the very beginning of the movie and some we're in the middle we get kind of shots of what hank was doing when he was a, a spry lad so mm-hmm. um i'd love to see more of that <laughs> really quick because she she does listen to the show mm-hmm. from time to time i just got a text from my girlfriend they won their hockey game tonight they are going to the finals oh awesome. yeah Another another card on the drinking game bingo. <laughs> Why well, I'm here? Um, well, people like the little personal bits. <laughs> um, in Canada, yes. <laughs> uh, Joey, do you have any final non-spoilery thoughts on the uh, movie? No, man. I, I think it was a, it was a surprise. It was enjoyable, and uh, if you didn't see it yet, you should really catch it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so from here on in, we're going to be talking about uh, about spoilers, you know, moments, big plot points, our favorite kind of beats, maybe ruining some jokes. So if you don't want to hear any of that, uh, tune out now, and uh, we will see you uh, next week on Talking Comics. So here is your warning. Reet, 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 reet. There you go. Your warning. All right. Here we go. Um, let's talk some Ant-Man spoilers. So let's talk Let's talk the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe hooks let's talk about those things that we love or think the theories that we have about how it hooks in pop well i love the opening where you're, you're connecting peggy carter howard stark and and now the de-aged michael douglas which looked pretty yeah. amazing yeah, yeah. yeah. it yes. looked like michael douglas like <laughs> yeah. i just finished filming wall street and now i'm filming <laughs> yep. ant-man yeah. like, that's what it looked younger like than he looked in wall street <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> watching that a second time i paid really close attention that looks phenomenal yeah just um it's the best it's the best age down i've ever seen yeah in anything and like, like i said he's like if they make me look like that i'll do a thousand of these movies <laughs> yeah <laughs> because you we're really concerned you because of the lag time in getting this movie made we lost hank as the creator of ultron and mm-hmm. all and and being one of the major scientist players in the early marvel universe and that's put back into play again mm-hmm. You know his technology is could now be at the heart of a whole bunch of things considering they stole it from him right so as I, that's one of the reasons I want to see a second movie to see where this all plays itself out. Mm-hmm. And then we have current tie-ins. 
we have to break into an old Howard Stark lab. We have to <laughs> we have to steal some stuff. It turns out to oops. Yeah. Oops, it's the new Avengers compound that we saw at the end of the last movie <laughs> that happens to have someone hanging out. Yeah, yeah. That that, that Falcon fight was great. Yeah. Um, Especially Scott apologizing four thousand times. <laughs> yes. Uh, I loved his kind of sense of oh my god, it's the Falcon. Like I, lo- I love that sense of being in all of, of, of these of these Avengers of, of these heroes <laughs> and. What I love about that scene too, which is apparently I've read now, it was an Adam McKay ad when he came in and wrote oh, really? the script with yeah. Paul Rudd, is that it? It shows that this guy, yeah, we've been like joking around with him. We've seen him like you know jumping through door keyholes and, and trying out some stuff, but now he ha- he's taking down and fighting and besting a, a hero we've seen take down much more you know apt foes than we we feel like scott is so Mm -hmm. i I think it's great because it shows his prowess and it shows that he belongs in in this sort of like big league which i think is great uh and i I love that love that fight for it (laughs) uh i love that sense at the beginning where um you know hank is because the first thing that that scott says him is like i think we should call the avengers you know because this seems like a pretty serious thing and he and, and a, I love that they addressed it. I love that they addressed the, its place in the larger universe, and I love that they gave a kind of very believable story reason why Hank wouldn't call the Avengers, which is that I love that he has like this thing with the Starks, and he doesn't want them to get this suit. And I love how he kind of plays off like how stupid the Iron Man suit is <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. compared to, compared to the Ant Man suit. Uh, hey, where they're busy dropping cities on people. Yeah, it's, which it's, was yeah. all great. How they hooked it into the Marvel universe. I thought all that stuff worked really, you know, really well, and. Uh, yeah, I, th- I thought they did a great job tying it in. I agree. You're looking at me. What's up? I'm going to see if you want to say anything about it. <laughs> I, I did it. I forgot. That's I will I say John Flattery <laughs> reprising Howard Stark. I mean, I knew who he was, but like mm-hmm. everyone was like, oh, who's he supposed to be? It's the guy from Mad Men. <laughs> I was like, that was Howard Stark <laughs> yeah. in Iron Man 2. They were like, oh, I thought Dominic Cooper was Howard Stark. That yeah. was a little uh, weird. I love that, though. <laughs> I, I love I that they didn't it. abandon it. That they're like, yeah, we've had multiple actors play this character, but is still, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Back to the Falcon moment. I love when he's he's standing down like in the gravel on Mm -hmm. top of the roof. He's like, I don't think he sees me. He's like, I could totally see you. (laughs) And he goes big, but I loved it. His attitude about who he was. Mm -hmm. Like he goes big. He's like. I'm Ant-Man, mm. like totally playing it off as if he's been doing this forever. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I'm one of you, Yeah, you know, like, oh, you know, I just thought maybe I'd jump inside, <laughs> grab this little thing. And, you know, you know how it, it is, right? Like, oh, yeah. 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 I'll, I'll bring it back in like four days. You know, it won't be, it won't even know it's gone. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I know how it is. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, that whole scene with him going toe to toe with Falcon. First of all, it was nice to see Falcon get some more screen time mm-hmm. and do a couple more things. Um, they seem to have really kind of, uh, like not redefined, but, um, fine crafted his fighting style and how he yeah. uses his wings and his jetpack to move around. And he's got like a couple of signature moves at mm-hmm. this point with using that thing. And, uh, I really, really liked seeing that. And it was a pretty cool, uh, Avenger for him to, to run into, but the going small and coming back into the big thing, going small again, and then, and then like going big to wrap around his neck and mm-hmm. toss him and seeing like some of the moves that he learned from hope and her watching on the other end and being like, mm, like not bad, yeah. like using the fight as a plot device to kind of turn hope on Scott just a little bit more as the, the movie progresses, there's little, little things. It's very gradual, their kind of liking mm-hmm. of one another. Um, I feel like sometimes like you don't get any of that stuff until the movie's over and like the hero is saved the day 
and automatically there's this this friendship that exists because he saved the day mm-hmm. and now you finally see it but they had these little things all throughout the film and all these really great moments between the two of them that they shared that built it up to where it it felt natural and real mm-hmm. by the end of the movie when uh when he catches them so, smooching though, though Hank, Hank yeah. Did, yeah Hank didn't see it when did this happen yeah. <laughs> uh and uh, Joey, what do you think of the uh, the uh, a- the the final, the after after credit sequence? Which one? All of them? They're amazing. No, the the oh, last yeah. one, the, well, the, the, uh, the one, the Civil I War time. The, the Falcon set up the little the little um, the pre heist heist thing sets up the the final montage scene, the Luis monologue, which then sets up the the after credit scene, which is is footage from Civil War. I think that's what they're saying. Uh, yeah, they were yeah. dailies Which apparently like, from Civil War. Fuck, he's like my boy, you know. So seeing him again, <laughs> it was just like amazing. Um, but again, like it worked, and I think again we're at movie twelve in this thing, and it, no longer are we at the point where it's like, oh, people don't watch these movies, so you can't do those things, you know. The, <laughs> it's like, it, no, I think they know, you know, and if they don't know, they get it, <laughs> you know. It's like this guy's wearing wings and he's flying down. It's probably an Avenger, you know, like. Um, so it, it just worked. It fit the script. It fit the, the heist genre of the flick. And then it set up another one of the, those Luis montages, which are just fantastic. Yeah. Those are my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. Very yeah. Edgar Wright. You yeah. can feel the Edgar Wright yeah. in those, but those, those montages, were actually especially added by Reed. I really? Think, at least that last one. I don't know if the first one was in the original script, but my understanding okay. is that the Luis character was a lot less in the in the in the right script. Interesting, because those mm. those montages feel like those Shaun of the Dead sort of you know montages they do when they're talking about planning on where to yeah. go. Didn't Evangeline Lilly uh, work with Peyton Reed once he took over in making uh, like changing the hope? The character hope character got developed more too. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that yeah. on the Patreon show. He, she got set with Paul Rudd and Adam McKay and kind of redeveloped the Hope character. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what did he say? He said, yes. <laughs> 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 that character, he's still, I watching it a second time around, I that was the moment where I was like, I was with Lauren and I'm grabbing her arm <laughs> and I'm like, I love this guy. <laughs> and everybody, everybody loves Luis. He's just... That's you with his art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Daddy don't get scared. <laughs> I just thought Daddy didn't get scared. <laughs> Give him half a Xanax. Yeah. I was I was still the only one to knock him out. And just like I and also, um, I mean we're talking spoilers here. When the when all the when all the stuff's going down inside of the um the PIM technologies building and he he lays the guy out, he punches mm-hmm. the dude out. And Hope kind of, you know, comes over to the server thing and to install that that bit that they stole. And he's like, yeah, bro. But I'm not. He's like, you know, because this is all part of the, the <laughs> plan. And it's all very. <laughs> and uh, how he goes back when he's he's exiting the building and he goes back and he grabs the guy yes. that he knocked out. And he gets a moment to do his own little heroic thing. Mm-hmm. Because he's asking Scott, he's like, are we the good guys now? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, this is what it's like to be a good guy. And you see this big smile across his face where he like he likes being the good guy for mm-hmm. a change. And I mean, he always seemed like he always seemed like a good guy, maybe yeah. just misguided, <laughs> if you will. But um, I really, really, really love that scene where he goes back and throws the guy over his shoulder and hands him off to the medics when he's leaving the building. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that gave just a really, really nice uh bit of nuance aside from him just being like the the hub of the comic relief 
he's also got a lot of heart and concern. And because his one of his best friends is now a hero, that he kind of wants to be a hero too. Mm-hmm. And he gets a moment to do that. I thought that was really cool. Here's a yeah. question, though. Nah. Did he save the other guy that he knocked out? Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. I, I noticed know. that the second mm. time I saw it. I was like, what about the <laughs> boss man? <Is> he- <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. Sorry, that is a good question. Shit all over that for <laughs> I know you, man. You just burst my Louise bubble. <laughs> well, no, isn't it the boss man he takes out? He, he takes him out because he's the guy he's, he steals the no, suit he from. Yeah, but there's out. two no, he guys. He out the guy. He's like, oh, boss man told me to secure the area. And he's like, I'm the boss man. He punches him. He, de- he depressurizes the water thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's yeah. the guy no, he the takes back out. because the security guard that was blocking the, the computer panels. Right. He's the one that so had the bullet up. ants yeah. were biting his neck. Oh, okay. And he punches him gotcha, in the face. Gotcha, gotcha. Marvel yeah, was gotcha. just hoping that we would consolidate the two and assume that they had seen it. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, Joey, man. There might be a missing scene. Maybe mm-hmm. it's in the director's yeah. cut. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bob, other stuff for you. Well, the we've talked before about all the performances, mm. and we get in the ex-wife and boyfriend mm-hmm. or new husband, whatever mm-hmm. he's, he's going to be. They're not the typical characters. They are not just rotten to, to Scott or whatever. They just they feel badly for him, you know the the whole you know be the person she really thinks you are about the way he is, or he, he's just mm-hmm. confused. That was right out of uh, Nick Spencer's run really? of Ant Man. All of that uh, the Judy Greer character was very much uh, Scott's ex in in that comic run for sure. Like there were stuff lifted right out of there and appeared in the movie. That actually, well, I mean, it had to have been the other way around because the the movie was already done. But done the Ant Man. Okay. Books it's very accurate out. to the character, though. It's very accurate it to is, the relationship yes. with the, mm-hmm. the two characters that starting back in the late 70s. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty crazy because some of that stuff is like word for word. But yeah. I mean, they're, they're themes. Yeah. So yeah. There's, only, yeah. there's only so many ways you can say yeah. certain things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a great moment with Hank and Hope where he's explaining his reasons mm-hmm. why she couldn't yeah. use the suit. And it's, it is deep and wonderful and then keeping with the tone of the movie itself, it gets turned on and said, oh, I, I, you know. That was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> that was a moment there, wasn't it? Ru- I ruined that, didn't I? And they both go, yes. Yeah. I'm going to yes, go make some do. tea. Yeah. <laughs> um, now let's let's talk about the, you know, the the the, the wasp aspect of, of the movie. Okay. You know, both both the kind of early kind of flashback stuff and then what we end up with. I mean, Bob, why don't you speak to Obviously, it's a character that's very close to right. your heart. First of all, when this movie, when details begin to leak out that there was not going to be Jan in any real sense of the word, I was one of those people who was pretty upset because, you know, I understand we were so many years out from, again, the, the genesis of this whole thing. It's Jan Van Dyne who names the Avengers. Mm-hmm. She's a very important character, but that all got sort of pushed aside. Would I have much rather seen a Jan and Hank movie that then leads into this or a bigger part of this? Yes. But because, for me anyway, that's all I can speak Mm -hmm. to here, that Jan, her life and heroism, which we do get to see within this movie, she does something that Hank can't. Mm -hmm. That informs everything here. Everything that Hank does comes out of that moment with his wife and how much he cared and why he can't then lose his daughter. And does that push her to the side some? Yes. And I understand why there was a whole lot of things out from Newell Stevenson Mm -hmm. this week. Uh, The exceptional woman is good at everything but must instead train male chosen one. Has never been played more frustratingly straight. 
I see that. I understand how people can get that. I just think Hope's character here, it's it's the father-daughter thing. We have a lot of other things. There are good dramatic reasons for it happening the way it did. Could have been handled differently, yes. Could there be a different movie we're talking about here? Yes, but I don't know that we can speak to a movie that wasn't made or even really discussed. Mm-hmm. So we have to go with this. Could she have had more to do? Yes. She has a lot to do here, and it's with agency, I think. She's heroic in the regular way. She gets that respect for Scott and helps this entire process, which could help save the world as we know it, and with this technology that gets sold to some very bad people. She drives the plot and the story. She isn't just an addition to in my way of thinking, and again, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll keep saying that. She isn't just an add-on to Hank's plot. She's the reason he does what he does, but she has her own story to tell, and I think it's told very well. Mm-hmm. We get to an end sequence where now, for a future movie, whether it's, as you're saying, a split prequel sequel, what would you call it, Joey? A sequel. A pasequel. We we should get that on a t-shirt somewhere. We we should have one of those. I think you will see, you're certainly going to see Hope in the suit that her father has now Mm -hmm. rejiggered for her to use. And I think you'll see Jan. Mm -hmm. Because we get into this quantum realm and the reasons that Jan disappears is to save, is to break through the atoms of titanium that you can't get through. And she does that to save everyone. When Scott does that sort of not on purpose and finds a way back, you can see the wheels turning in Hank's head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, as as was it Bendis who had her disappear? Yeah. It was Secret Invasion mm-hmm. where she blew up to giant size with some scroll yeah. bomb, but then survived in a micro world. We're, do, we're going spoilers. We're right here. Jan lives. Mm-hmm. And she's there and she'll be back. And we'll get to see the family put back together. And so if we look at it, Ant-Man 1 and 2, or what will be part of Civil War or the next Avengers movie, that is the entire arc of mm-hmm. Hope and Hank and right. Jan. Yeah. And that's how, I, I, for me, I, I intend to look at it. I understand why people are upset. I was one of them to start with, and I was mm-hmm. turned around some by this movie. Would I still want to see that other thing I wanted? Yes. But I embrace this wholeheartedly. Well, I saw, um, I had a comment uh, come to me that uh like you couldn't see Jan's face it was obscured both in her action sequence and in a photograph where she's wearing like a bell hat and the bell hat is kind of turned down they're sitting on like a, a picnic blanket in the in a field mm-hmm. and you can't see her face and i thought about that and i took that into consideration i said you know what though like if we don't get to see a follow up to this for i mean they have their schedule and Ant-Man 2 or a sequel or a prequel or whatever is nowhere in there unless they decide to announce something and smush it in between something else you know you can't necessarily cast a character that doesn't have a larger role in your movie for something that we might not see for like another 6 years well that's why they didn't cast oh, the role because they're waiting they're because they, right, she's, she's not in the movie so yeah. right but i'm saying as like an, as an explanation for the facelessness yeah, but that's exactly yes. why they did it. Because yeah. yeah, okay, the person I was talking to—it's one hundred percent why they did it. Because okay. they're going to want to cast somebody big to play Jan yeah. when Jan comes right. back, or when they do the prequel to to, to show Jan in action, and they're not going to want to just—they have nobody. They're going to—they're going to cast somebody for a picture, mm-hmm. and then bring them back six years later, or three years later, or four years later, 
for a movie, like because mm-hmm. they're going to want to cast somebody like Michael Douglas says he wants it to be Catherine Zeta Jones. <laughs> it should be, right? Uh, Definitely should be. But that's that's yeah. kind of that's who they're going to want. They're going to yeah. cast somebody big. They're going to they, they 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 screen test that they know is going to be great. That's right. Gonna oh yeah, be the girl that did I mean, just, play uh, it. She she was on Twitter or something, and she was like, "I'm I'm playing Janet," or just her eyes or whatever. I, and you know, she's yeah. a young yeah. actress, you know, has like no credits. Mm. She's like, this is a, a moment for her, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it's sure a huge moment. Like for her. A gendered reading. I'm sure people are reading into it. I I agree with, mm-hmm. with Bob though. There, where it's like, it operates on two levels. On the one hand, like yeah, we're fridging this character, at least in in mm-hmm. you know from from most people's perspectives in terms of its motivating the the concept mm-hmm. of fridging, right? But on the other hand, it it produces you know and it can produce an effective kind of dramatic arc and to be able to recognize the the source of the the criticism and and the validity of it, but also enjoy the film. I think that's kind of two things that that people have difficulty doing and I don't know if that makes me sound like an asshole to say that but like I don't know I don't know yeah I mean I think it's a two level thing like you said Joey I think it's if there is the meta context and then the micro context as far as storytelling and filmmaking go overall look I can only understand it's easy for me to sit back and say like yeah I you know I want it to be better and I hope I wish it was better but it's not better but this movie's still good because the lead the protagonist is a is a, is a white dude <laughs> you know so yeah. it's and i've seen that a million times and I, i'm comfortable with it so i know that um and i hope i really hope and there's i think what uh, kevin feige is something interesting right they asked him about hope's line at the end where she sees the suit and she says it's about damn time yeah and they asked like was that on purpose like would you do it on purpose because like people have been waiting for this and he goes no it wasn't on purpose He's like we we had a couple versions one she said that line one she said another one where she said nothing just she looked at the suit and he, and he, but we just picked that one because we liked it the best. And then he goes, and then when I was watching it, like for the final cut, the final screening, he was like, "Oh my god!" He's like, "This is like the perfect line because there is this, there, there, are, there are scores and scores of people now who are calling yeah. for, for this to change. And this, and this, and I, I hope this can be like a, you know, a, a showing that like she's speaking, the whole band nine character is speaking for those right. for everyone. player that help is on the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now again. It's nice to say it has to it has to be proven yeah. out. Yes, and like, it's uh, oh he'll play yeah. a, she'll play an important part in, in phase three. And it was weird today mm-hmm. because just to kind of add fuel to the fire, someone asked him was like oh is is she going to be in civil war? And she and he was like she was originally going to be in civil war, and then we decided no. <laughs> and it's like Feige, like do you know what it sounds like when you say these things? You know? Yeah. Um, the other uh, thing about the, yeah. the Jan stuff and the casting thing is. I think that in the original scripts, those those original Edgar Wright scripts or whatever, um, before they actually started production, Jan was just mentions and allusions, not something that was mm-hmm. visibly seen. So again, with the casting, it was probably something that happened, you know, in production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, again, like I, I go, what Bob said, I I wish that this other movie existed where it was more of a partnership between the two mm-hmm. characters, where it was Ant Man and the Wasp training Ant Man training and doing their stuff together yeah. and being heroes together that's what i would that's what i want to see when i thought of an ant-man movie that's what i always thought w- was going to happen um i do I, I will say i do like that the setup of the fact that now there's kind of a wasp in, in both times you know yeah, legacy character now. yeah legacy First character now, which i like i like that a lot so i'm this movie is all about legacy in, in in a lot of ways and i think it's a highly enjoyable movie a ton of fun and something that i think has a lot going for it it, it suffers, like I said earlier, before we talk about spoilers, Marvel has some stuff to, to address as far as what they're doing. And, you know, until we get to 
either the, the next Avengers movie or Captain Marvel, it doesn't look like there's immediately being addressed anywhere right. on the yeah. on, uh, on the time frame, which is I think is very frustrating. Representation uh, and gender. It's a lot. Yeah. Exactly, both. both. I mean, Black Panther is in Civil War, so that is happening. I mean, again, we have, it, it, there's been kind of this running narrative the last week, especially because of Ava the... Uh, yeah, the director of... Um, God, oh, Ava DuVernay. Uh, Selma. Selma. Selma, Selma, yeah, she's the director of Selma, um, saying like she didn't do Black Panther because she felt like she had to compromise too much to, in order to do it, and that added a lot of fuel to this the same fire. And I think that Marvel isn't there yet, but I think they're heading towards the thing where the backlash is going to start to come above the the praise as far as just the loudness of the noise, and they don't want to get to that point. No. If nothing else, other than the moral reasons to do it and, and the, uh, the 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 kind of future of their franchise uh, and franchises are going to are going to depend on them expanding their audience, and I think that they they're going to need to do that just as much for monetary reasons as for moral reasons. So I'm hoping to see that change, and and we we don't know what these other movies are going to look like, but they're solo movies, so it's tough to see like Doctor Strange doing something that's going to you know be on that level. It just doesn't seem like that's the mm-hmm. case, you know, in, you unless Leah is a it feels like an one, but <laughs> unless Clea is a huge part of uh, uh, of Doctor Strange, and maybe she is, but it's still a male-led movie, you know, with with Angelina being a female sidekick, which doesn't really fix the problem it, it, as much as kind of puts a small band-aid on it. Right. Unless they decide because of all the the, the hubbub mm. that then you start to beef these parts up. Yeah, they're there. We're, Pepper in Iron Man three had a lot to do, but mm. then turned into damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. It's as if they went halfway, got to the line, and pulled back. Yeah. So maybe this helps everything, that there's enough static around Mm -hmm. that it turns into a little bit more white noise. It gets louder and louder. And then, you know, let's change now. Let's, let's, can we add a movie to this? Can we throw this Black Widow movie together with the kind of people we have? We can do a really good movie without having to look five years out or six years mm-hmm. out it can stand on its own let's get it out there let's let's start moving and get something done in two years yeah i mean you can do if the, if the thing is like they, they have to have somebody to address doing lower budget smaller movies yes. uh, and i think that would help them a lot um and i think that would help not just the female characters not just minority characters but with, with any characters that don't necessarily have like the, the pull to do a movie mm-hmm. that, on well, that kind of scale. Netflix I stuff. mean, they've started doing it yeah. the Netflix stuff, right? Well, I was just yeah, going to say, also the exact same time. Right. <laughs> and, and it's great that it is that, but then the criticism goes, oh, they're only for mm-hmm. television. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, to be honest, I think the Daredevil, Daredevil is one of the best things Marvel has ever done. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, so I think that, that that's, it's it's a it's a odd, it's, it's a hard line to draw on that stuff. But yeah, I mean, the, the, when I think about the movies coming up from Marvel, the ones I'm most excited about are probably Black Panther and Captain Marvel. Those are the mm-hmm. two I'm most excited about. Yeah, for sure. Um, so they can't get here soon enough. And, uh, you know, I think that what happens, too, is that it, it gets to the issue where, like, not that I, I think that anyone's being overly mean about it, but when you get the Spider-Man announcement, it's met with, like, a thud. Because, A, it's like the sixth Spider-Man movie mm-hmm. in, in, in not a lot of years. But also, it I think because of what the way the schedule got shifted around, it feels like Spider-Man now represents going backwards. It go, it, it's moving away from diversity. It pushed back movies that w- were diverse in order to do this movie we've done you know five other times. A- a- and that's a shame for, like, you know, for the guy who's directing it, for Tom Holland. Like, these are, like, the biggest day of their lives, get, getting those jobs. A- and 
it's marred by that stuff. And not that it shouldn't be. I'm not saying it shouldn't be, but it, it's tough. And I think Marvel has that to address. They have a meta problem to address big time. Well, it's crazy the way that uh, I was actually thinking about this when we started the whole conversation, that the internet is like this this huge double-edged sword that something like Ant-Man, word of mouth could really like get this movie going and, and enough people see it that enjoy it. It used to be that you just you knew a friend who had seen a movie like you couldn't get to the theater yet you had to work and you know oh i went friday night like oh i was all oh, was awesome and then you would then go with a bunch of friends and there'd be like seven people you'd take up a bunch of seats yeah. now with the internet with everybody having a voice and it being so so quick and you could just pop that stuff out there that all it takes is one person to to spark the fire and you get all of this stuff from most sometimes from people that haven't even seen it yet, but because of the the stigma of the character, the lower budget, the name, um, it gets bad bad press, and it hadn't even come out yet. I don't think, so, I don't but, think any of that stuff is what's keeping the movie. I think mean, the movie was successful, and I think the movie oh I don't it, um, has gotten a lot of actually kind of positive buzz. I think most of the the noise is coming from the the. That legitimate kind of criticisms about re- minority representation and, and gender representation in the film too, which is, I mean, it's not invalid. What, what, where that's coming? No, from. yeah, I just no. mean in general. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not t- talking about anything in particular. Just, just internet behavior, how much it it, it dictates where the stuff can land uh, for people sometimes. Yeah, but I think we you have to be careful. We all have to be careful of that because it's like the internet is very much an echo chamber, right? It, it, it's it, it's. You're, you have a timeline of people that you follow, and mm-hmm. they all. And then, if, if a bunch of people on your timeline are talking about it, it's very easy to feel like everyone's talking about. This is what everyone's saying. Like, yeah, and, and was, ev- yeah. everything is negative, and, and and I think that I think that's it, it's 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 tough because we get very micro. We get you know we we feel like this represents a whole huge feeling about the movie, and and I think that it's one of those things where that criticism it's. Again, it's so when you give when you give an open platform like the internet, you're gonna get shitty stuff, but you're also gonna give people a voice who never had a voice before. And you know what the truth is? A lot of that criticism was probably always there, but people didn't have the way to communicate right. it. And mm-hmm. now they finally have a way to communicate it, and everyone who kind of didn't now feels like, oh, this is a new thing. People are just like angry because of this, and it never happened before. But probably it was that way. Just you could never hear about it, you know, because it, unless you read an article in a, in a newspaper or a magazine, you probably weren't hearing that that sort of high minded criticism about the way that gender oh, politics yeah. played in, had into Twitter movies. During like the eighties and early nineties, like mm-hmm. the gender politics of those films, like Reservoir Dogs, which is amazing. <laughs> right, like, yeah. that movie would have yeah. got bashed. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, it, and conversely, I, you know, I was watching um, Jurassic Park a couple weeks ago when Jurassic World came out, and Jurassic Park, very interesting, is a very feminist movie. There's mm-hmm. a lot of, and it's overtly that way, and mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine it's not on purpose because, you know, the Ellie character yep. is, it, 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 it's amazing to me. Like, I, I never noticed that before I kind of, for the last couple of years, I never would have noticed it before because I never, just never thought about it. Um, I, I was sort of blind to, to a lot of those issues. Watching it now, I can see it, and, it, and it's just—it's a really refreshing, cool thing right. to see in a in an early '90s blockbuster that that it's such a it's such a vital part of the movie. I watched it the last time I went to Canada, right mm-hmm. after seeing Jurassic World, and like even the the, the John Hammond character yeah. is constantly trying to you know put Ellie out of harm's way, and she just gives him a huge eye roll <laughs> yeah. and grabs the gun. It's yeah, like, please. Yeah, it's like I got this. Yeah, exactly. 
And she saves the day. She does. In more yeah. ways yeah. than one. Yeah. Uh, and she wears boots. Let's talk about how cool Jurassic Park is. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that movie is awesome. <laughs> it is an awesome Still movie. Still is. After Somebody at the event that I was at this weekend was telling me that that movie isn't good. Well, they're wrong. Well, they're wrong. I know. That's what I told the them. The first Jurassic Park. Yeah. 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 Because he asked me if I, he, he asked me if I seen Jurassic World, and I gave him my you know my shorthand opinion of Jurassic World. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, I never really thought that the, the first one was that good. It's one of those movies that everybody says is amazing, and it's really not. And I'm just standing there looking at him, going like, this conversation is over. <laughs> Who are you? Punch <laughs> yeah. in the face, leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then he emailed me yesterday. He's like, hey man, it was really great to meet you at the blah blah blah. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, you didn't like Jurassic Park. Yeah. Go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> you, sir. Son. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah. O- overall, Ant Man fits very favorably in, in the Marvel canon. I'm not sure exactly where it ranks for me, but it's definitely in the in the top half. You know, mm-hmm. f- for me, absolutely. Um, as far as movies go, and I'm I'm excited to see these characters in the mix in the future movies. Um, I, I really want to see how all that stuff uh, plays out. I want to see the classic Avengers lineup stand there. Well, yeah, that'd be very yeah. cool. Yeah. Now, will we see Giant Man somewhere? I think so. There are there are teases to that. Yeah. That other technology that grows things. I think you're, next time you're going to see him with one switch is going to be able to control him going as small as yep. he wants. The other one's going to control him going as big as he wants, which that would be cool. I, you know what I hope doesn't happen? You know how the end when the Hydra guy gets away with the... Yeah. The, the cross particles? Yeah. I don't want to see that end up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and resolved there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Yeah. I just, it hit me just now. <laughs> Because they're going to be like, oh, we can't fit this into any movies. Put it on S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> or it'll be like the Barbasol can in Jurassic Park and we'll yeah, never you, hear from never, it again. Never, yeah. never hear from it again. Cool Unless it's in some I'm, crappy I'd video game. <laughs> well, I, I read an interview with Peyton Reed where he said, like, originally they had it, like, destroyed or they got it back. And he's like, then we decided, like, just let him go and it'll be something that could come back at, at some point, at some other point in, in, in the, in, down the line. Can we talk really quick about how absolutely horrifyingly nasty Cross's death is in this movie? It's very disgusting. Like what actually happens yeah. to him yeah. is terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. It is. Like, oh my God. The <laughs> bones are not meant to break that way. No. Yeah. Like he implodes on himself. Yeah. It's like a Ren and Stimpy episode. Yeah. It's Ooh. awful. <laughs> God, it was, it was teased how many times this things went. No, I know, but it's so because yeah. Lauren oh was God, sitting next to me. Yeah, yeah, and she like she grabs my arm. She's just like, Jesus Christ! I was like, Yeah, yeah. So it was like a like up there with some of the Disney villain deaths. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Oh. oh, I thought it was funny. Brad points out he's like, Yeah, I, I like that last thing he's doing a lot, but it's like, you know. Yellow Jacket just got done like murdering like eight people on an airplane, and then like Cassie just like hides in the closet, and he. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he has no mind <laughs> to her um but yeah i i thought all that stuff worked and uh, i'm i'm looking forward to to seeing what comes next but and that's our review of a marvel ant-man um i guess we're, we we have an our, our next review well bob won't be on our next review <laughs> of a movie oh that's right yeah i was just gonna ask what's our next movie fantastic four. Oh my god i can i tell you something about that what okay i think i went to go and see if i could get more butter on the popcorn mm-hmm. is that when that trailer came out did we get the trailer for fantastic yeah we did yes we did okay so i was off trying to go get butter i went on record as stating that i had like been kind of warming up to it from the last trailer Mm -hmm. i when i went to go see it again i saw that fantastic four trailer i am back to i am back on bob's side of the fence (laughs) there i didn't there's a bunch of stuff that uh irked me Mm -hmm. in in that trailer 
calling them dangerous, calling them yeah. weapons. And I know that uh, that it was coming from like a military personnel kind of person, but there there's keywords and themes that are are making my my fur kind yeah. of stand up on end. Well, the, everything we've read, they're not superheroes. They're uh, mm. uh, whatever. Uh, all I know is for, for anyone interested, I found running rummaging around the internet, someone mashed up the, the one of the short teasers mm-hmm. with the audio from the 1967 cartoon show. It matches <laughs> perfectly, <laughs> absolutely perfectly. It's on our it's on our forums mm-hmm. under you know fantastic world, how different is too different whatever. And I also posted the original promos from 1967 underneath, as you can see where it is. But it, the beats of where the stuff happens and the introduction of characters, there, it's almost as if you're members only now. <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> you gotta cut that out of the podcast. You can't, be, you can't, you can't, you cannot condone people stealing a movie just because you don't <laughs> think it's gonna be good. You're not allowed to do that. We'll have to cut that out. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I think just the, the shaming that just happened will turn people off. From <laughs> yeah. stealing I will come to your house if you steal a movie. I'll, I'll punch you in the face. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we'll do that. And then I think the next one after that is not going to be until Batman Superman in Oof. next March. Oh, Jesus. wow. Wow. Yeah. Really? I don't think there's yeah. anything in the fall. Oh, isn't, wait, isn't there an X-Men movie? That's not before Batman Superman. Batman Superman is March of next year. Isn't Deadpool in February, though? It, uh, it is. Oh, 2016. Yes, you're right. Yeah. So Deadpool. Deadpool. You got it. <laughs> Deadpool. That's Deadpool gonna be fun. reconvene. Yeah, Deadpool will be the the next review after Fantastic Four, then Batman Superman, then Civil War, I believe, is after that. Sweet. And yeah. there's the bunches, and then there's X-Men next summer as well. I want to like see Suicide Squad. Yeah. Oh, when's that? August of next year. August, okay. Yeah, that's in August of next year. Doctor Strange, I think, is November of next year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So then there'll be a whole bunch all of a sudden. Yes, yeah. there'll be a lot. Not that we haven't had a, a, enough, <laughs> yeah. but... Who knew? Yeah. Who knew when they were making the Adam West Batman movie yeah. 50 years ago? I forgot. There was someone who said, like, on Twitter, he goes, guys, I'm really sorry. When I was a kid, I wished everything would be superheroes and Star Wars. I didn't know yeah, what I was yeah, wishing yeah. for. <laughs> oh, well, you guys are going to do a Star Wars one, I'm assuming. Uh, maybe. I don't know. It's not going to be the biggest movie ever of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We didn't do a Jurassic World review. We'll have to have Mara on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, do a, do a Star Wars cast. Um, we'll we'll see about that. We'll see if we do that. But yeah, that's gonna do it for our review. If you guys want to get in touch with us, it's at Talking Comics on Twitter, facebookcom Comics, or podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com is the email address. Go to talkingcomicbooks.com for all of our reviews, columns, and of course our bevy of podcasts: The Misfits with Mara Wood, Melissa Megan, and Stephanie Cook. We've got Talking Movies with Brian Verderosa. They had a very special guest, Jeff Kanata, this week, and they reviewed Trainwreck. Huh. Um, so, so pretty cool there. So check that out if, if you get the chance. Um, of course, we have Talking Valiant with with Adam Shaw, uh, Comics and Coffee live every Friday, and we of course we have Talking Games. Yeah, and uh, that'll be up on Thursday. Are you coming tomorrow? I can't. I have to work. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Not completely. I'm working till like ten. That blows apart everything that I thought was going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> Sorry, I just ruined your life. Uh, I think we're going to have a, well, at least for part of the show, we're going to have a Batman spoiler cast. Mm-hmm. So uh, You better finish the game. I, I, <laughs> I better finish it because if I don't, I'm not going to be able to participate. I'm going to have to bow out halfway yeah. through the show. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about, you'll talk about many other games. Um yeah, Rocket League. Yeah, Star Wall. Uh, yeah, it's we're we're really at a a rather not a disappointing part of the year, but we're in a we're in the low. This is the, period. the doldrums. This is like this is like the go through the games you've already mm-hmm. talked about on the show. Yeah, part, but we always make it entertaining. Yeah, and it's, this is also the time where you play the games you 
you know, were too busy to play three months ago or four months ago. Yeah, this is like this is the point where you're starting to play stuff where you're really starting to craft your opinion about it mm-hmm. for like maybe end of the year stuff mm-hmm. where something you thought was so amazing initially maybe kind of poops out. Yeah. Um I think the next big release is Until Dawn, I think. In I'm August. so excited for that game. It's pretty cool. The end of August, right? Yeah, I think the end of August, yeah. 25th? I think it's something like that, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, make sure you follow us all personally on Twitter. I'm at Bobby Shortle. Steve? I am at dead underscore anchorus. Joey? At Joey Burcino, B-R-A-C-C-I-N-O. Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. All right. And that's going to do it for the, the Talking Comics podcast for this week. Uh, Stephanie has promised that she will rejoin us ha! next week. So we'll see. We'll see about that. Uh, read Aww. read the uh, the shared yes. book of the week. Yes. Um, power Up. Power Up, number one from Boom Studios. And uh, yeah, join us next week. But until then, for Steve. Bye-bye. Bob. Aloha. And Joey. Adios. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. <laughs>